everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get these sites staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. We have the usual crew here again today. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I have Josh Torres. Hi. Adam Vitali. Hello. James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Chow Minwu. How's it going? We are about halfway through April, surprisingly. I know a lot of us here at uh, RPG Site have been working through our backlogs and touching a few newer games that are coming out uh, in the next couple of weeks. But uh, looking at the kind of the slate of releases for this week, we have a few features up on the site from a few other contributors to, to the website that we want to call out. We've got some new footage again for some big, big releases coming out in the summer. So this is going to be a little bit more of a casual episode, not a huge list of blockbusters here, but a few uh, smaller games that we've played in the next week, a few games coming up in this next couple of days we're interested in trying out. And of course, looking forward into the uh, early summer and, you know, sorry, late summer, early fall months as the release date calendar continues to kind of come into focus as we approach whatever is going to be the June, you know, gaming event of the summer because there is no E3. We've got the Summer Gaming Fest. We've got a few other publishers that are planning different sorts of things. We got just words uh, this last week about Nintendo having like some sort of Seattle event in terms of some sort of summer substitute, but it doesn't know if that's just going to be more of a celebration or less focus on announcements. It's kind of all up in flux and all up in the air. A little bit of a different feel as we go into the late spring months here. It's kind of weird, like hearing about it's like, oh, that's like an event like near me. That's weird because you know, <laughs> so like everything, you, yeah. Every, yeah, yeah, everything's in California, like usually in California. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm up like by Seattle now. That's weird. Can I go there? I don't know. That's where uh, both Nintendo and uh, Microsoft, Microsoft are kind of yeah. are are found. So I'm surprised they don't have more up there. And of course, uh, Emerald City Comic Con, uh, PAX West, all that stuff. So there's a few opportunities in that area. Yeah, like I said, uh, April is kind of a bit of a, a little bit of a quieter month, but there have been a few uh, either recently released or soon upcoming releases that we have a few features up on the site from some, uh, specifically from Scott White here that I at least want to shout out a little bit before we get into the games that we've been playing. So one of the bigger releases of this week is the Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection. And I don't know if anyone here has played the remaster or as planning to or has played the original versions of these games but i do want to at least give the opportunity here to shout out that scott has put up his initial thoughts and review up on the uh, of the game up on rpgsite.net though i do know he was being very cautious in terms of trying to adequately and fairly cover that game's single player and multiplayer components so has anyone here played Mega Man battle network games i played a few of them like the original releases like played the original three and i don't know which versions of like five and like five and six i, I actually don't know how many are there six of them i don't actually know how many there are bundled there's quite here. a lot yeah there's a lot of them and then there's also star force as well <laughs> i think the most hated game was the third one i think it was, was it? no people love the third one we're talking about i've one definitely the heard was... some people that dislike the third one really i heard a lot of people like the third I remember one when the game felt kind of incomplete or something one of them I don't know. I don't fucking keep up with like what. Yeah, it's been a long time since I played it. I I'm more into the battle transmission game, the one where it plays like the standard Mega Man game. Uh, okay, right, uh, right. 
but using like the you know the chip-in system from from you know like the portable game so it's... yeah this was also like a like a like even the battle network is like beyond games like there's like a shitload of like anime seasons for the battle network series yeah in in scott's review he says 10 rpgs worth so I think it's Maybe. six games, and then various games have different versions. So, yeah, oh, okay. so like the Pokemon style. Type oh, of I, that that rings a bell. I remember that back in the day, how you'd have like two different colored versions of the same game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so yeah, Scott's review is pretty uh, pretty glowing in most respects, with the main exception being that uh, he wasn't able to definitively go through line by line. But th- these games, are, I suppose, are notorious for kind of quick slapdash localizations. They have a lot of charm to them, but apparently they're not very accurate at all. And they're kind of they, they read awkwardly. And apparently that is and I've seen this in both in his review and in a few places online. Not really. It's the same. It's very faithful to the original games in that in that respect. So not not a strong relocalization effort on these releases just repackaged and and re-released as they as they were initially which might be a disappointment for some but otherwise for those that have the nostalgia for it maybe they're okay with it isn't this like the i'm pretty sure this was like the 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 game series that had like the npc that like looks like a fucking grandpa he's like (laughs) i'm 30 it's like yeah yeah (laughs) i I get it now i get it now Isn't it also one where it's like on time time to jack in or uh yeah. yes. uh the, the, the one... jack off. <laughs> <laughs> there's our there's our title. Uh and mm. the, the one the one Scott calls out is there's so many electrical store, like bad plural yeah. and things like that. But um so we're recording this podcast on the 15th, and this game officially released on the 14th. Uh, Scott's review up went up a few days earlier. His single-player-focused, unscored review up on the site, I believe he's planning to revisit once he's able to uh, go into some of the multiplayer components now that the game is officially released. And I know we're going a little bit out of a different order here, going into the future <laughs> rundown, but another game that is coming out in the next couple of days on the 18th, I believe, is the League of Legends story Mage Seeker. It's the game we've covered on this podcast that is very reminiscent of like Hyperlight Drifter. And Scott was able to play that as well, I believe at PAX East. Um, so he put up a kind of a preview on, on that upcoming game up on the site. Basically, kind of as expected, calls out how it's very approachable for players who, like him, don't have a lot of the history or knowledge of the league roster or story or mythos or anything like that, which has been kind of, it seems like a good bar that Riot's been hitting with all of their kind of expanded IP projects involving the, the League of Legends games that they've been putting out for the last couple of years. So Scott has both of those features up on the site for the Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection and uh, the Mage Seeker. With that, I was looking through the games talk section that we have of the podcast and one of the more, uh, Notable releases of this week is a game that is coming out of Steam Early Access. We covered this about a week or two ago on the podcast, coming into version 1.0, and that is the game War Tales. This is a game that before I read about its 1.0 announcement, I wasn't really sure what it was, but I had kind of noted that it had a pretty strong following, a very large number of positive reviews on Steam, and even uh, in our news post for the game, a few comments mentioning that they had already had 100 hours in the early access version of this game and were eager to see it go to full release. Uh, So I had this game kind of on my list, but I haven't had time to clear out and try it just yet. It released, I believe, on the 12th. But uh, this was a surprise to me. But uh, Josh, you had told me that you would actually put at least a couple hours into War Tales. Yeah. yeah. 
So I figured, uh, even though I know you haven't gotten a lot of progress into it yet, I figured we might as well at least start there and put and just kind of give you uh, give a chance to have you talk about your very early impressions of the game and like what exactly. All I really know is that it's an open world isometric RPG with like a medieval setting. I don't know if it's like procedurally generated too, and like you open up a play a new playthrough. But I don't know if like the the world's procedurally generated or not, uh, and mm-hmm. so forth. Uh, it was like like I, I kind of briefly looked into it uh, as well when we started like you know getting this on our radar when they were gearing up for 1.0 release. Um, you know because this game has like been in early access for several years now, as uh, the you know developers uh, I've been refining it. Um, you know when you when you first open the game and you start um, you know. Uh, you kind of have like you kind of tailor your party at first so how they um you know for uh go about this is like your parents or your companions are dot 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 and you have like five options it's like apprentice friends looking for an adventure then that the, that option like you start with like uh uh influence plus 30 raw materials minus five but your starting companions like your party composition composition is like a swordsman archer ranger and brute or if you choose an option like men escorting merchants who lost their employer, then, then you start with your uh, you start with a little bit more money called crowns plus one fifty, but medicine minus two at that, and then you're starting your composite party composites like swordsman, warrior, spearman, and brute, and then you have other options like to like frame your background or like your motivation, like young farmers looking for a better life or bandits. So they come. So the they guard. come as like bundles, like like you choose like a set. Yeah, like uh, yeah, pretty much like your compa- your friends. I don't know if you can like toggle them when you uh, like uh, I'll go check really fast if you can toggle them. But just like I have the game open right now to remind you like what these options are. So like say let's say uh, I choose an apprentice friends looking for an adventure. Then like the next thing like you it asks you like your parents are dot 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 are used to long walks. It just provides you a bonus so like this would be like reduces the speed at which the troops fatigue stacks by ten uh, by ten percent or they're cutting fighters. Yeah, which uh, gives you bonus bonuses on like uh, their experience gained and their influence gained, and then other options like are your parents uh, show incredible resilience or ex- excellent at slap games, which is funny because that one is like critical damage increased by ten percent, or are quick learners, which like you gain experience faster for each professions. Then you um, toggle that, and then you choose, an- and then the last thing you before you start customizing like the look of your party. And giving a name is like if they had a flaw, if your party had a flaw, and then it would be like the like a debuff it'll give them like a somewhat meek appearance, uh, or uh, carrying capacity is decreased by one, or eternal dissatisfaction, which means like they always uh you know it reduces their happiness by like one every time they like do an arrest, um, and so forth and so forth like that. Then so it's like, once, a, ca- so it's like a character creator for a whole party. Yeah, pretty much. And then, like, the interesting thing is, like, before you start, like, tweaking them and changing their parents, their name, it also has, like, uh, two difficulty modes um, that uh, that are, are pretty interesting because there's, like, an adaptive ex- exploration, which is basically it's always going to be tough wherever you go. So, like, the, the, the difficulty of the game is always scaling by, like, your party's, like, level and their stats. So, like, no matter where you go, you're always, like, challenged. Or there's like a region lock exploration, which you can think of like maybe like Dragon's Dogma, or like this region of the world map will have easier mobs in that and this region of the map as you continue to like venture off. Like there's always gonna be like there's like harder and harder mobs like at, at this region of the map. Uh and so forth. So there's like uh, and then, you know, um you you have uh certain uh 
difficulties that can be tweaked before you start your playthrough, like combat difficulty, survival difficulty, and like a save mode, which is, you know, it's a, something you'd like maybe like in a fire fire emblem or like save uh, where like you can do um, a limited save mode where like hey, it's only one save per game, but you can go back at like at certain checkpoints or the last village you visited or at the beginning of battle. You can do a save mode, uh, a free save mode where like you can always save wherever you want and use as many save uh, modes as you want. And then of course. Iron Man, like in XCOM, or like, hey, you only get one save mode, um, and uh, or one one save slot, and once you die, that's it. And I always at, have the utmost respect for people that can play these long RPGs in Iron Man mode. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then that, and I'm like, uh, just from refreshing my memory of the character creator, like, you, like the party compositions that you uh, set are like locked, so like the only thing you can do with your characters from then on is give them a different name and then like randomize their appearance like tweak their appearances is it's like it's like it's like you're a party of four plus a horse and you can name the horse as well and tweak the appearance of the horse um so you know i named it uh, you know after my friends and uh myself and then i named one of my friends the horse as well <laughs> um and then and then um when you um when you when you start tweaking your characters before you start your playthrough you can give them up to two positive traits and one negative trait, and the and the, they can be random if you want, or you can like specifically pick it out. Like the positive traits, like maybe critical hit increase by like the so forth, or increase by strength strength by like five percent, and like or their like hardworking trait, which like they they get to earn more profession experience, etc. And then like the negative traits are something like um, you decrease their movement, or you they receive uh, less wages, or um i assume they, you have yeah. to give them a negative trait yes well right. no you don't have to give them a negative trait actually oh okay so it's like for challenge all right yeah so um oh i, I see you you it, the, the interesting how they balance is like you have to give them a negative trait if you give them two positive traits if you don't want a negative trait you can only give them one positive trait uh, okay yes I, that's a that's a fun way to balance it mm-hmm and then, like, um, you can, like, uh, give them, uh, aside from their, like, base attack, like, with their weapon, whether it's, like, a sword, a, a bow and arrow, or a sphere, they have, like, one, like, a, like ability they can start with as well before, like, you know, obviously they're going to level up and they'll learn new skills along the way um, as they level up. But, like, the you can kind of toggle their, their, their first initial ability, like, like, say, one is, like, hey, you can heal, like, a dying ally. Or, or it could be like a gains defense uh, for some of them. It's like it's like a basic skill that you can arm them with. So once you start, like how I started my playthrough is like I had the Merry Bandit Adventurers, um, and so forth. Just a really basic like kind of backstory for them, and um, you're kind of put into this overworld map uh, at first, and it's kind of you're kind of like almost aimless, uh, and you're kind of like wandering around just like. Seeing where, like, it's very much a, a game that, like, doesn't, like, heavily tutorialize you at first. Like, it'll point you, like, hey, this is kind of, like, the UI. This is what you're looking at. And, you're, and you know, but you're going around this map, and there'll be times where, you, like, you run into a mob on the map. You can, you know, try to escape them or engage them in battle. And when you engage them in battle, it'll go to, like, a separate battle screen. And, like, a lot of the UI may look like XCOM at first. So, like, for example, when you when you... Get a, a, an ally round. You, uh, how turn order is um, given to you is like 
it'll be like an ally ally enemy ally enemy or like ally enemy ally enemy or ally enemy 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 so it's not, it's not like it's not like all allies first then enemies it's like it's like a, at a set order but so it's, it's ally- so it's not round based it's truly turn based yeah it's it's turn based but when you get an ally um turn you can choose any ally that you want that hasn't moved in that round yet ah, so okay. like if you want so if you want to move like your heavy hitters first you can you can do that it's not that 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 ally is it like locked to a character you can choose anyone that hasn't acted that in that turn that round yet that's so, interesting i was trying i was trying to think if i could think of another game that worked quite like that but no usually i've played plenty of games of course that are round based where it's the allies phase and you move them in whatever order or it's bespoke it's this character's turn you move them now i don't know if i played a game where it's like all right now you choose an ally to move i'm sure yeah. i have it's just not coming to mind right now mm-hmm. yeah so that's so, you know there's kind of like the first like tactical layer there and then like when you choose like a you know to move it'll look like a comrade like kind of have like that love those curved rectangles you know of like their movement range it's not there's not really a grid on the map either it's kind of like more freeform than that so you're just kind of like moving based on like the, the the range that like you're given um obviously you know like your more quick agile characters like like say like a ranger um will have more movement than let's say like a, a warrior mm-hmm. um and then what's interesting is when you engage um a character into an enemy like you start battling them head on they're kind of locked into like head-to-head combat with that character if they want to disengage from that uh if you or the enemy want to disengage from like that combat encounter with each other they have to like make the that move to disengage but if they want to but they take a damage penalty for it so well, that's they want to Sorry, that's just very, that reminds me very much of like tabletop RPGs, attacks of yeah. opportunity, things like that, mm-hmm. when you try to disengage from, an, from, a, from a battle. Yeah. So, like, so there'll be like, you know, ways to like, kind of like, hey, if you really want, if there's like a, a threatening like enemy unit that like you have a tanky, you, you would obviously want your tanky character to like kind of get aggro on them so they're, they're, they're not a threat on like your other squishier characters. Like you're kind of forcing them to like, you know, go toe to toe, and if they want to disengage, then they have to like you know, we'll get hit, mm. um, and so forth. Um, line of sight is also very important for things like rangers, uh, or, or I mean, not, uh, not rangers, or archers, for example. So, like, you know, that like when they're uh, they, if they want to like try to hit a character or an enemy with a bow and arrow, you know, you have to make sure that like their line of sight uh, isn't like blocked by like uh, an ally because they, there's a chance they might hit them. Uh, so stuff like that that you kind of like gauge like by like the field of view that the uh, battle uh, gives you. Uh, there's also damage bonuses on like if you um, hit an enemy uh, from behind and so forth because uh, like everyone is usually armored um, at the start battle, so you have to like get through their armored uh, first before you can start dealing HP damage to them. So you know anything to like kind of flip, flip the the table on them and trying to get like you know obviously out damage them before they out for the damage you um i know uh, a lot of games have armor systems like that but it makes me think of divinity original sin 2 where every character yeah. had like a kind of a magic armor shell that you had you had to either work through or work around in order to actually deal hp damage yeah yeah this there's fun like you know like your 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 armor does come at a cost so like if you, if your damage is broken you have to like you know if you want to repair it you do have to like spend like money to like get mm-hmm. it repaired um and so forth so you know it teaches you the 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 basics of combat there was like um 
one uh what what about more interesting encounters like early on after like i accepted a quest i went to like the quest area and like there's like this uh like pretty like tough tanky enemy that's like giving like uh, a def- defense bonus to it's like the two ally uh allies that they uh, they had and like the i wanted to like separate like you know the boss enemy from like the two friends that that he had so like well, like be- before you start the round you can like there are certain places on the map that you can like freely like arrange your characters in um but that but it's not like all over the map it's like specific spots on the map where you can like kind of rearrange your characters before the combat begins mm-hmm. so i basically kind of arranged like my my ranger character that had like, like a lot of movement to like kind of get the aggro of the two enemies and they just kind of like ran all over the map kind of like making sure that they kept their distance so they didn't take damage so the but they always had the intention of the enemy trying to chase after them while like all my my three other units like kind of was like was like at another part of like the the map like dealing with the boss enemy <laughs> so, like trying to like you know make sure to like get this uh uh um enemy out of the way first to get uh, to take them out so they can get uh, the leader bonus out of the way so they don't have additional defense and every time you like you kill and get like a like a, a rally like a damage bonus and you galvanize your troops as well just so like the more um enemies that like you um you know deal with uh, uh the, the the bigger damage bonus that you get so you kind of have like a momentum um going i, I like uh, systems that. that work like that with like i i can think of a few systems like that um like uh last remnants morale system is kind of like that i believe yeah. expeditions rome had something kind of like that uh i'll double check that one but ha- having some of those like long-term battle mechanics where it kind of rewards you for playing it either safe or methodically or allow- allows yourself to kind of get some of that momentum going either by taking out the boss unit early and you know getting rid of that passive bonus that they're giving out or working your way up to them uh by making sure that you're not you know taking damage or or losing health before you get to them yeah so that, that and then like there are like so, uh, it's like some survival mechanics in the game as well so like as you're moving around that overworld map like you know the 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 day cycle is going there's like a day night cycle and your you know party members will eventually get uh weary and tired and fatigued so you you can you can set up camp like mostly anywhere on the world map uh but you know, when you when you set up camp, you know you always have to, like, uh, before the you uh, go to sleep, you have to like kind of uh, feed them and make sure that like you know that you're kind of offsetting their happiness with how much food that you give them, so then they're not too miserable with like you know just being fed very poorly. Um, uh, and also, um, there's a chance like during at night that you might be attacked. I didn't get attacked yet, but there's like you know it says like the rest chance. You have like twenty percent, you might be ambushed. So that maybe like the position of where you rest on the map like might affect that uh, uh, chance. I haven't had that happen to me yet. Um, so exactly that, that also happens. seems very reminiscent of like tabletop RPGs, both yeah. literal ones or video games based on them. Like both, the Pathfinder games have right. a camping system like that, and I'm sure I'm sure dozens of others too. But those are the mm-hmm. ones I played most recently. Yeah, it, it very very much you know relies on like that those tabletop systems to kind of guide it's like you know the the basic systems that it's uh, operating on. Then they're like you know anytime that you see like a a town, you know you can go you can go into it and then like the towns aren't like fully explorable. You just kind they're kind of more of like menu driven. Like hey, here's a picture of the town, and then like here are the places that you can go in the town. So like say I want to go to the inn, so it'll like warp you to the inn. You mm-hmm. can see like who you want to interact with. 
um, you know, you can kind of barter with uh, NPCs. Everything's been like fully voice acted so far. I'm pretty, I'm pretty interested to see like what the scope of like the game is like uh, in terms of like how many unique voice uh, voices they have in the game and all that stuff. Because I'm pretty impressed so far with the production value on that. Um, and then so like you know I'm very very early going. So like all I've really done so far is I visited like the first like nearby town near me. I've taken up like. You know the three que- uh, three nearby quests, um, and then I, I I began journeying um, west to like where the first quest was, uh, and kind of getting a feel of like okay, there's like other things going on. It's like it's like the story in itself isn't like really deep right now. It's like you're kind of introduced to like hey, you're like you, because of the background that you chose, you're like you have these four initial starting characters. You have just uh, this horse and the like the main feature. Or function of the horse is like they uh, function as additional carrying capacity. So instead of you know your character is always bearing on the burden of like uh, of all the equipment that they're or stuff that they're carrying, you can offload that to the horse instead. So there's less like weight on them to like you know that's bogging them down and making them more you know tired because they're instead of like carrying all that weight, it's the horse instead. Um, and I, I know I know that like people who have really really um sunk a lot of like hours into this game have like absurd like pretty much armies that they've like crafted like 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 people like invested like like a hundred or so hours is like i have like over 30 characters and it's like this many like ponies and horses and like here's like my up my upkeep like how much food i have to give them like to like uh, per like day to like main like uh, maintain their upkeep and everything i'm like that sounds fucking crazy (laughs) you know um but yeah, I mean, it seems like it seems really, really solid for what it is so far. Very well made. Um, I'm looking forward to like digging into it more and um, kind of exploring more of like uh, uh, what it has to offer. And like, there's a, a profession system. Like when I went to like a, the blacksmith place, like, hey, uh, uh, I made one of my characters a, a blacksmith off the off the bat because like you know when you visit like the blacksmith anvil, you can actually like you know uh, you use the option like, hey, do you want to uh, have any of your characters like like become a blacksmith start learning the blacksmith profession to like use this anvil and i saw that like it gives a strength bonus so i was like okay i'll give my my big heavy hitter swordsman like make them become a blacksmith because they'll get the strength bonus and then it seems like and then in my mind it's like blacksmithing is also is usually like a handy profession like in any rpg you know to like start like getting better equipment or upgrading equipment uh and so forth when you start getting the materials for them um, is is the game completely uh like is it is there a fantasy element or is it all just medieval you know historical fiction it seems like medieval it seems like it's it seems to be down to earth medieval so far from what i've seen i haven't seen like any like dragons or like griffins or, or, or griffins or ratmen or, right. or, yeah I, I haven't seen like any like fantastical elements uh yet there could be uh but but it's but all I, but it's but it's not uh, like it's it's how do I wear this? It's like fictional politics, countries, factions. Yeah, from what I've seen, it's like it's like it seems to be like you know your standard medieval down to earth sort right. of trope. So, yeah, I mean that that's kind of like my my very very early uh, impressions of War Tales so far. It seems pretty cool. It seems like it also supports like four four player online co op. So like if you just like want to start like a long RPG campaign with like four like three other dedicated friends. You know, all controlling a character and uh, just having going on an adventure. You know, it's, it's, it's it really does. 
it does seem like it could be like a fun substitute for like a a roll 20 tabletop game or something like that at least kind of scratch that same itch it seems like it's a definitely a slow burn but one that could easily engross you if you decide to be the person that has like 40 retainers and 20 horses and or, yeah. or whatever things like that yeah there's still like a big big road to explore you know i just i just kind of enjoy mm-hmm. it at my own pace uh, mm-hmm. but yeah it, uh, this is uh there's a game I, I definitely will like uh like boot up here once in a while and like you know make progress here and there it's not like one on marathon probably right. but like one that i'll it's just like it's 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 neat to like you know kind of get the kind of this classic tabletop experience from like just from a game that like from my purview you know like this came out of nowhere but obviously this has been a thing for like years now yeah yeah we're we're ignorant so for us it kind of yeah. came out of nowhere but then you go to steam and it's like oh it's got ten thousand reviews already because of the early access period <laughs> and things like that yeah so, so no um cool. as as you were talking about it i have uh i've purchased it and downloaded it so i'm kind of lowering my hurdle so that i can actually like get to this and try it uh so yeah, I was hoping- I, yeah, I, i've had a friend like you know who's like kind of like uh like kind of pitched it to me too like he was talking about it like his experience with like other friends tells like that sounds really cool with what they've been telling me about like the, their playthrough of the game it's like oh man it's mm-hmm. something that's like it's it's there's like it seems to be like deep enough and not too too deep to like you know be totally like inaccessible to me you know yeah incomprehensible uh yeah so i was hoping to get to war tales because obviously war tales released as the time of recording a few days ago into version 1.0 i was hoping to get time to at least start it also before this podcast but i was not able to finish the other game i was playing this week and that is a release from february that kind of went slightly under the radar only because february was so so incredibly packed and that was um like a dragon Ishin. so obviously we talked about this game as a release josh you did a really good uh, job covering this game as it released uh and then of course for me this is the first yakuza slash like a dragon title that is new to the west that i've been able to play at like a, a point where i'm caught up with the series because mm-hmm. obviously Yakuza 7 or Yakuza Like a Dragon was one of my favorite titles of a few years ago. And since that release, I have slowly over the course of the next couple of years played through Yakuza 3, 4, 5, 6. Lost Judgment and Judgment came to PC like surprise late last summer. So I played through those last year. So now Like a Dragon, Ishin, this is actually kind of like the perfect place to be caught up. Because this way I can kind of enjoy all the character cameos where, of course, all the characters have their likenesses shared from uh, whatever actor portrays them in the normal in the base series. But now they're playing different characters in a Shin. But also because it is separated from outside of that character likeness, because it is also separated from the base series, it's also a good standalone point. You, you of course, don't get that that sort of referential part of the game there but that's kind of a bonus anyway um so i've been playing through like dragonish in i'm about 20 hours into it uh, i'm in like chapter 10 out of i believe 13 so i'm okay. i'm a good way good way good good way of ways through it i've done like two-thirds of the sub stories so i'm not being like completionist but i'm also not being like critical path mainline trying to at least explore and get a little bit i mean the, a lot of them just are just like kind of just like in your way like you know you kind of like go from one place to the next and then it's like all of a sudden here's another fucking enemy she's like hell 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 yeah yeah you're you're, you're <laughs> just you're just following yeah you're just following the uh the critical path exactly. and all of a sudden yeah yeah no problem uh you have to do a, a sub event or at least you're introduced to it and you have to deliberately choose to ignore it 
Um, but I, usually if I run into like a sub event, I'm like, all right, these are usually yeah. pretty short. I might as well just talk and see what it's what's about it. Uh, so I'm not going to go through the the high level, like what's the plot, what's the narrative too much, because obviously that was covered when the game came out. Uh, but obviously this does not have any shared characters with the main series. It's just a standalone story uh, where the character being portrayed by oh, I forget the actor that plays. Kazuma Kiryu, but he's now Sakamoto Ryoto, uh, but under the alias of Saito Hajime. And basically, the plot of this game is that he is trying to unearth who killed his mentor and father figure and infiltrates this kind of police state called the like Shinsengumi, which are basically feudal Yakuza, uh, to try to discover the identity of this mysterious uh, assailant. Um, the story, without going into like spoilers or going into too many details that are kind of lost if you haven't dug into the game yourself, one thing I have really appreciated about Like a Dragon Nation's just narrative thrust is I have been on the record of this podcast saying that a lot of Yakuza games, even across just their main plot, which is when it takes itself the most seriously, are just a little bit too out there or they get really contrived or there's certain things that require a thousand different things to go exactly right to make any sense at all. Uh, where this this narrative kind of avoids that because it's very straightforward. It's mo at least at the point I'm at, at like the 20 hour mark, it's more or less like a murder mystery. And mm -hmm. it's very straightforward where you've got like a, okay, what do we what do we know about the assailant? Oh, the assailant uses this style of swordsmanship. Oh, who teaches this? Okay, it's this person that is in a position of power amongst this Shinsengumi, you know, force. Okay, who are my suspects? Okay, there are six of them. That's And then throughout the chapters, either deliberately or unintentionally, uh, Hajime kind of goes through, okay, it couldn't have been this person. It couldn't have been this person. Okay, this you person. You also have just to buy the, like, you know, Hajime's site, those, like, like, you know, your swordsmanship doesn't feel, you know, as like, it's not just quite the, the, that swordsmanship of that assailant, you know? You just kind of yeah. have to like, like, like you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, early, so early on in the story, uh, he you you fight this masked assailant and you basically draw or lose, depending on your point of view. And he's very, he's, he's described to be very, very tough, very, very strong, very, very skilled. And then so you fight other people and like, hmm, you can't have been him because you're not good enough. It's like, ooh, burn, <laughs> damn. <laughs> but also it's kind of funny because this assailant's like wearing like a ninja mask, but he has like the slit for his eyes. And then one one of the suspects is the character who is uh, played by the same likeness as uh, Majima, Goro Majima. So he's got the eye patch. And it's like, he says like, it couldn't have been you because you're not strong enough. It's like, also this guy only has one eye <laughs> instead of two. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but um, it's so, I just like that this game so far hasn't gone to the same level of wackiness or contrivance that the other Yakuza games have. It's been a lot more straight laced, a lot more simple. And I think to its benefit. So I think that also just makes the story very approachable. You don't have to, you don't have like, unlike playing Draw Out a Hat, Yakuza 4, you don't have to have any history with any of these characters to follow it. So there's no like, oh, remember this thing that happened or this history that's implied between these characters? There, There isn't any. It's all self-contained. So I think that makes it just a little bit more approachable, a little bit more well-rounded um, and easier to follow and just more enjoyable. So I've really, that's been a kind of a really positive aspect of this uh, for me. Um, How do you feel the, about um, like like uh, since you since you recently you know so, somewhat recently played like you know, the three, four, and five era games like you know this game 
like it was originally like you know at, at its conception because it is kind of like a re- remake of an older game but it is still built upon that foundation like you know it not to, to me like it's still like exhibited like the stiffness of those games and like like kind of like it reminds me of like yes yeah, this is still def- definitely a game from its era of those games yeah, it's, it's definitely not as fluid as like the lost judgment combat uh but it's the only game of the main series that I played that I didn't acclimate to well, because I, I usually acclimate pretty well. If I play an older game and it's a little bit stiff or a little bit clunky, I usually kind of get used to it pretty quick. The one game in this series that I struggled a lot was Yakuza 3. Mm-hmm. 4 or 5, yes, they're more stiff. Uh, and even 0 these days doesn't feel like as fluid as as um, uh, Kiwami 2 or, or 6 or the Judgment games. But I'm... I I think it's fine. Like I didn't really. I know. I think uh, I know. If people have kind of complained or at least criticized that uh, Ishin doesn't feel as fluid as those most recent games, but it's fluid enough for me. And it's doesn't. It doesn't. I played worse. I suppose it's not as bad as Yakuza Three. And where Yakuza Three, everyone just uh, blocks all the time, and it's impossible to break guard without like doing various particular things. At least when I played right. it. Um, the one thing that I had did have to adjust to with this game is that Yakuza series have kind of been in that. I keep saying Yakuza series, like a dragon series, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's been in that fringe RPG space for a while, but this game is the one that most, at least out of what I've played, has most fully em- embraced that. And I don't know if that's a carryover from the original uh, Japanese release for the PS3, or is it PS3 or PS4 for this one? Well, both. Both? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so all the, a lot of the other Yakuza games have like gear systems and equipment and even you could and whatever sort of soul sphere level up system in those games. Like they've all they've all already kind of been there. But this is this game actually like you have a battle end screen that tells you how much EXP you've gotten. You can go to the menu and see what level your character is like a number out of 99. <laughs> My character is, is currently level like 34 or something. You go to a gear shop and you have a weapon tree that looks like a monster hunter world weapon tree where it's like in order, like in order, in order, in order to upgrade your Odachi, you have to have this material and you can branch it either here or here. And they have this different inherent abilities or this many slots to put abilities. So like really, it really truly like feels like all right this is a definitely game our site should be covering because it has so many of these yeah I, 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 yeah this one definitely like it's like you're reminding me like like how my, my playthrough was uh of this like I, I i i crafted a sword that like had like a like a purple aura because it inflicted poison mm-hmm. uh, like, uh so you just have like a you just have a crazy looking sword that like has like crazy stats and also gives you it gives like uh it also inflicts status ailments you know uh on uh you know, on her on hit, which is really funny. And there's, so, yeah, there's even yeah. like item rarity, like basic, mm-hmm. fine. And instead of calling it like it, I like how kind of straightforward the tiers are. Instead of being like masterwork or legendary or, or whatever, it's like basic or it's like dull, fine, great, best, or something like that. Like, oh yeah, I've got a <laughs> I've got a best tier, whatever, whatever katana I've got. So but yeah, the, the weapon tier, it looks just like the like the Monster Hunter World or or Monster Hunter Rise, just weapon tree with the same similar like you, you know you need this material to upgrade and this much money, uh, and then you actually like you tear up the shop in order to like have get different discounts or imbue different have higher percentages to imbue different abilities things like that, and I struggled on some of the bosses and I'm like all right I can't just ignore because in a lot of the other Yakuza games the uh, 
the weapons or gear systems are kind of like extra. They're for fun. You can kind of ignore them. Uh, but in this mm -hmm. game, yeah, it's it, you can kind of ignore it because usually because as you defeat story bosses, they'll drop different weapons that kind of keep you so you don't fall too far behind. But there's just there's a lot more to dig into and it's a lot more meaningful. And I've of course as an as an RPG numbers nerd, I've enjoyed that a lot. Um, the one part of Yakuza or Like a Dragon is Shin that I've actually been kind of disappointed by that I wasn't expecting to be is the sub stories. Cause mm. I've had some games in the series where I do the plurality or in, in some cases, absolutely all of the sub stories and have a really good time. Cause usually they, they dive into the mini games that they, they have some strong combat challenges. They go, there's usually some sort of arena feature and they're, they're all over the place all depending on the game here, like in like a dragon is Shin, there is some of that. But also this game doubles and triples down on a bond system where different characters that you meet in the city, you have a bond with them, which is literally a bar you fill up for like how well you like them and they like you. This can range from like, oh, I I, I bought something from a shop for the first time. Now I have a bond with this shop owner and your character will chat with them a bit and they'll give you some price tickets or whatever. But then there's also like some sub stories where it's like you find a barking dog this dog, how do you get it to stop barking? You buy it, you buy a, a dog bone and you give it to him. You've you've you finished your sub story. Now you have a bond you can do with this barking dog. Oh, here's a sick dog. Oh, here's a hungry cat. Oh, here's a dirty cat. So if I go into my menu and I like look at all my bonds, there's there's like there's a hundred plus of them, I'm sure. And a lot of them are just very like, here's a character who likes vegetables. Here's a cat that is supposed to be lucky that you have to give money to. Uh, here is another character that just wants to see very particular weapons. Here's a character that you just have to go back to every once in a while and he'll try out different medicines on you. So usually the, like a good number, approximately half of the sub stories are just like introducing you to a character to start you off on like, here's another meter you can fill with usually a very simple interaction. I think there's like three different characters that like vegetables there's like a woman that likes vegetables. There's a boy near the near the base that wants mm. to be given vegetables. Yeah. Uh, there's another like sexy lady that you want to give cucumbers to because it's very <laughs> innuendo based or whatever. And it's just like great. it's it's there's there's enough of it that I at, at one point I kind of just started like droning it out or toning it out. Mm -hmm. Just like like all right. So basically, there's tons of meters that I can fill up that you get some, you get virtue virtue is basically like a a social currency that you get for doing side quests you also do get like gear and items and stuff but primarily you get virtue and virtue you spend to like increase your inventory limit increase how far you can run without without being winded uh things like that so it's useful but it's just it's it's a lot at a point it got very samey now there are still sub events that are very classic like a dragon they're wacky they're serious they're challenging but there's just a ton there's like 80 in total or something and i feel like half of them are just like give this person a thing to fill up a meter once the meter is full you get virtue and that's kind of it and so i kind of found myself a little bit disappointed by that but i kind of i state that very mutedly because you can just kind of ignore it like it's it doesn't like you you can engage with it if you want to and if you don't want to you don't have to so yeah, it's, the, so the, it's, the, so it's a very muted like criticism yeah this was still like released like in the, like i think this game like came out right after five so it's like it's still like that was still like enduring like the time where like the yakuza series was still trying to like it's still it still had like out. some of that like legacy you know sub story approach on like where like they really stepped it up like with zero in that in that front, 
um, when that came out. But like that, this is still like you know, because you, you remember you think of like five sub stories. It like it kind of still had that that kind of like lingering stuff. Or like there, there's still like wacky sub stories. There's still a lot of like kind of mundane ones. Five was uh, one of the games that I did actually go pretty ham on in terms of completionist. I don't think okay. I got like platinum, but I think I did all the sub stories. So I did all the Saijima hunting. <laughs> oh, I did all yeah. the uh, Haruka dancing. Uh, my 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 you, my, you my count on yeah. yeah. So by the time I got to Yakuza Six, I'm like, all right, this game's already shorter than five, and I'm just gonna mainline it, get it get it done in like 18 hours, and call it good. <laughs> I, I don't so, know how you like didn't go like I don't know how you came out of like five alive doing that. <laughs> like oh my god, five yes. was just exhaustive enough, just like play like normally. You know? Yeah, and so and then so so for a shin, um, I think I like I said I've, I'm about two thirds sub stories, uh, done a few of the mini games, so I'm I'm at least trying to get my fill. Uh, but probably won't engage. Like for instance, there's a setup where you go to like your second home and you can do like gardening and things like that. And I'm just like, eh, I'm not interested. Like no real mm-hmm. criticism there. I'm just like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not here. I'm not here for that. So I'll just, I'll just leave that aside for now. And, and, and as far as like, the strength of a shit is like, it's like it gives you a lot of things to do, but you don't have to do any of those. It's like if you want to, you know, this is there. Like, this is just fun little activity there. You yeah. know, uh, like with like that 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 uh, second home. Like, you know, there's like a cooking mini game there. Like you want to. If you want to see this dude cook, then like you know, you can see him cook, um, and all that. Are there any like either main story moments or like um, or sub stories that like stick out in your mind? It's like it's like something that's like kind of amused you. I like the um, sub story about the American samurai. I don't know because <laughs> yeah. because yeah. he's he's treated like a joke, and he never quite uh, he never quite gets out of that shade. But by the end of it, like. Uh, all the all the like the children of the city really respect him because he came to, on their behalf and and rescued them from some from some jerks. And then mm-hmm. like, but when you're done with that story, you actually can like recruit them for like that recruit side stuff. And I'm like, oh, that actually seems like perfectly like. Of course you can. Uh, you know, I forget exactly how that system works with the um with the soldiers or the, the troopers. The trooper is what they cards. call it. Yeah, yeah, the trooper card. So like, once you finish his side story, you can get this American samurai trooper card. And I'm like, all right, that's that's a good way to have these different systems interact. Um, as for uh main story parts, I I kind of like just the um. There, there's a section of the story where the Shinsengumi are chasing down this samurai chose for this Chosu samurai uh, who's mm-hmm. played by Akiyama. I forget his Kotaru, I believe is his uh, name in this, in this mythos. And basically uh, Hajime can't give away that he's not actually loyal to the Shinsengumi. So he kind of has to let him escape, but play it up so that it looks like he just loses but certain people are fooled by it. Certain people are up on the take on it. Uh, the thing is, is in my brain, I, al- I always like auto correct them to like their their main series character, like yeah. whoever the whoever the Saijima stand-in is Nakamura. I forget what is Nakaguma. I forget what is um what is Ishin's character's name is. But he's like, hey, you know, traitors, you know, be careful, bub. You know, traitors to the Shinsengumi are put to death. If you're going to let someone escape, try not to make it so obvious. So there's yeah. like, there, there's like good intrigue where uh, certain people know more than they let on and they'll reveal at a good pace what they know, what they don't know. There's certain cases where people give false names or there's uh, there's imposters or things like that, or you're not exactly sure where certain characters' allegiance lie. So there's still a little bit of that like soap opera drama aspect to it that the other that the other games in the series do also have 
without going crazy or, or silly with it. So there's some there's some points points about there where I actually found the story quite like pretty gripping and and you know fun to follow and actually like I, to... I'm curious to, you know, that you mentioned like do you find the story hard to follow or have you been using like, the the in game glossary to like clarify terms? Uh, no, it's been this has been one of the more straightforward stories to follow. Okay. In the series, there's still a lot of names, uh, especially like when my brain, like I said, just keeps correcting to their main series names. But like I, I recognize the faces. So maybe it would be a lot harder to follow if you uh, didn't have that like history, that memory of like the, where these characters were initially introduced in terms of their likenesses. And you only had their like it was new to all of you. So maybe maybe it's a little bit easier for me because I can just kind of assign in my brain. Oh, that's the Akiyama character. Oh, that's the Ryoto Go Goto character or or things like that. Uh, where if that's all new to you, that might be a little bit more difficult because there is it, there is quite a large cast of characters. But yeah, uh, I, I guess I won't go on too much more than that. It's a game that came out in February. I wanted to at least give it uh, its time. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I was planning on mainlining it, and I ended up putting more time into it than I planned to because I'm because I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying the change of the change of scenery. Uh, it's got a little bit of a different flavor of storytelling. The, the the gameplay is a bit different from the main series. I don't feel like burnt out because like oh man, I've played this game a hundred times. It doesn't feel like that. So it's definitely one that I think that people who have had any either had any affinity to the Yakuza or like a dragon series previously, or have just had any interest, but they're not sure whether they should jump in because they don't have any history. This is definitely a good game to be a, a jumping on point, at least for how the games play. Obviously I won't tie into any of the other story, but in terms of just seeing like what an RGG studios game feels like, um, this is definitely a, a good candidate and one that I've been enjoying a lot. This is like you, you, I'm thinking about. It's like it's there's probably like the only foreseeable like like a dragon uh, game right now that's like the, a good one to jump into without any prior knowledge. Because I'm thinking of like the other projects. It's like one is like a side se- story se- with Kiryu. Se- yeah, side story with Kiryu that takes place in between six and seven. So you need to be, know pretty much both games to like yeah. understand the side story. <laughs> and then you have and then you have the follow up to seven with like a dragon eight, which you know you'll probably have to know <laughs> which is strange um, because like yakuza 7 even though it tied back to the other games you could make an argument maybe not a great argument but an argument to say you can jump on here because it had a different protagonist a different point of view etc etc but then with eight they're like well actually it seems like a lot of that stuff that you could kind of you know just have a general feel or synopsis for it's going to be a lot more important because it's going to have the dual protagonist thing going on and we're like oh okay <laughs> so we'll see how that all shakes out when I, uh, that I, comes I, out I, I, think, I think their gap was a little bit paying off a little because at least you know you, you saw a lot of new fans jump on at yakuza 7 you know and they're like and then mm-hmm. a, lot, a good chunk of them are like let me go check the other games not maybe not like absolutely all of them but like the other games like you know maybe like check uh, look back on zero or maybe like let's see like what's going on with like you know yakuza 6 and so forth I do like how whenever I see people like what what order should I play the games in or whatever or or things like that I almost always seem to see the same kind of caveat like and this is true I feel as well don't burn yourself out you do not have to play Yakuza 0 through Yakuza 7 in a row because you will hate yourself (laughs) pace you have to pace yourself (laughs) yeah these games aren't gonna go anywhere you know (laughs) And they, but, and they but, will, but, but, you, but I get the, uh, but I get, the, I, I get the, the desire to like feel like catching up because you want to be, you know, be part of the conversation when mm-hmm. the new one releases and like when everyone's on checking it out. Luckily, most of the games outside of like four and five, if you are efficient 
you can kind of play in like 15 to 25 hours a piece. So I mean, that's what, that's what I did. Like for seven, right? I did like my Yakuza marathon, and I just pretty much kind of like mainline them, just refresh my memory because it was like it was such like a long a long time in between six and seven, and then with them with them revamping seven, I'm like okay, uh, or mm-hmm. revamping the form, like I need to like remember like what was going on in the series. <laughs> So I just kind of like I did I did my Yakuza marathon like within the span of what was it like three months starting from scratch again and just kind of like mainlining it for the most part. I, I don't know I don't know how you do that. I t- it took me three years to to do this. When when does that side story game come out? That's slated for this year, right? The man with no name or whatever. Yeah, so so we're still waiting to hear more details. I really I, I think I, call me crazy, but like in, in between like the announcements of like Ishin's re-release and like eight, like this the side story one is like the one I'm most interested in because like me and my friend are like, we're very like baffled at like how Kiryu was reintroduced in seven. And like, we're really curious to see like what kind of led Like we were very curious, like the backstory behind that. And there's exactly like kind of like the, the type of like thing that we want to like connect mm-hmm. the dots to that. And yeah, it, it is slated for a generic 2023. So, yeah, that, so I'm no very interested. Right. Yeah. I'm excited for that. And before I hand off the proverbial microphone, I have been playing another game this week. Uh, it's not a game I was expecting to play, and it's not a game that we've been covering here on our site, though I do know some other RPG-focused sites have been covering it. It's an indie game that came out either in late March or early April called Dredge. And if you've never heard this title before, we haven't covered it, so let me tee it up at least a little bit. In Dredge, this is kind of like an exploration puzzle-type game where you play, you take the role of a fisherman out at sea. So you have like a boat uh, and you have like a bunch of different islands that you can kind of dock at. And the premise of this game is that your character kind of watches up ashore on this, this fishing village. And basically you are put to task by the village's mayor to go out and essentially catch catch fish, sell them for money to pay off your loan, help rebuild the town. And as you do this, you kind of unearth a bunch of like spooky secrets and mysteries and weird occult happenings that are kind of going on in this area. The game has a very like moody, atmospheric, not quite horror vibe, but kind of that unsettling vibe. The way that this game was marketed is that it starts out like the guy's just catching like trout and flounder and snappers and selling them, giving them to the to the fishmonger and getting money. But then the more he goes fishing, the stranger they are. There's fish that have like extra eyes or there's fish that have no scales or it's like in real life. Like it no. gets incredible. Like some of the it's it's a it's like a it's a 2D kind of like water painting type art. So it's some of the some of the the way they describe some of these is absolutely disgusting, but it's not like unpleasant to look at. Like for instance, you catch some squid where the tentacles are replaced with tongues. And basically yeah. the whole idea is that like you, you find these like abominable things, the further out you go, the longer you fish, what the hell is going on? It's supposed to put you like on edge a little bit. And how this works is that you start out with some very basic fishing capability on your boat you can like catch shallow fish or coastal fish um you can't venture out very far if you venture out at night you start to like your character has like a it's not called panic in games called something else but it's basically like a panic meter where you start to like see hallucinations the further out you go if you don't have light or if you're not near often a a sanity meter like in like eternal darkness or some shit like that yeah it basically is a sanity meter um and 
so basically when you're starting out you're like you're sleep, you're resting to only go out at the very brightest of days not going out very far catching some very basic fish uh selling your um your catch in order to pay off your loan or upgrade your boat or give yourself new capability as you go on you kind of you get the ability to like lay crab pots and like you can kind of like lay lay different like cages that you can return to to catch fish or you can have a, a net that trawls behind your boat that just kind of passively catches fish or you get the ability to like uh hyper speed your boat like zoom like uh I don't know, like, no. When you're when when you do like the act of fishing, like how does like the like the fishing system work? Is it just like is it like kind of like a an automatic thing, or do you actually have like fine control over like the fishing that you do like with a rod or something? It's 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 a kind of a very basic fishing mini game where it's like a sliding meter that has like a, a reticle on it that you have to press. You have to have certain button presses when the reticle is in certain places. So if you've played any fishing mini game in any RPG, it's a variant of kind of the same sort of thing. But certain fish have like different, like the, the meters are different shapes or different sizes, or they, oh, they flow okay. a little bit differently. That's, that's fine. Uh, so you'll you'll see like fishing spots out in the sea, and the, that'll that'll identify where the fish is. And then when you go to it, if you've got the proper capability on your boat, whether it's a coastal fish or a shallow fish, or maybe you're out further out and you need an oceanic fish, so therefore you need the oceanic capable rod. Um, It'll either tell you you don't have the equipment to grab this, or if you do, it'll let you go through the mini game. You can only have limited amount of space in your cargo, so certain fish. If you catch like flounder or whatever, you can fit up a whole bunch. If you catch like marlins or swordfish, they take up a lot more space. So it's very a grid-based inventory system. Like I guess the Vogue thing right now is Resident Evil Four. It's a very similar sort of thing where you have to slot and rotate and put it in your cargo in a way that it'll fit. Nice. Um, you can spend. Is there like is there like with your inventory slides? Is that like uh th does that like correlate with like the type of boat that you have? Like is there like boat customization to like in like expand your inventory or cargo slots? Yeah, so you can you can expand uh there's there's basically two progression systems. There is research, and research allows you to basically develop better rods, better crab pots, better nets. So you can get a rod that catches both coastal and oceanic fish. And then later you'll be near a volcano. You can catch a rod that catches volcano fish. Or you'll get a deep sea rod that catches what they call abyssal fish. That's where you get like the lantern fish and things like that. So you like research better equipment and better better lights, better engines, better nets. And then there's like a, a dry dock ship upgrade, ship hull, where it's, it's not your equipment. It's the boat itself. And you like can dredge up lumber and metal and cloth and like resources that you can then use to upgrade how many slots you have in your cargo, both in terms of just raw slots that you have, like just literal just space. And also like now you can fit in a larger engine or two fishing rods or more headlamps. So you can like go out further at night because you have more like it actually like measures it in like lumens and meters in terms of like how far your your headlamps actually travel out and how much they protect you. Uh, so there's those are the two main progression systems. Mm. Um, the story is it's very like moody and atmospheric. You'll 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 encounter different characters on different islands a lot of them will have like an implied history like we used to whale here like we're a whaling town but all the whales are gone so basically this town is on the is on the out and now people are moving away certain people have gotten lost a lot of them have kind of very spooky undertones like there was this uh, uh this mayor of this little town that started to go crazy and started throwing everything out to sea and then eventually walked into sea and himself and disappeared the, the the main plot is that you encounter this character in this very spooky manner 
that is just like, hey, I need you to find me five relics. And these relics are like, I believe it's like a ring, an anchor, a manifest. I forget exactly what it is. But basically, that's the the, the main plot is you're finding these very creepy artifacts in the different regions of the, of the world and bringing it back to him. And he kind of like casts spells on you. At least that's the way it's described, where it's like, now I'm going to give your boat your boat the ability to to warp back to me whenever you want. So the boat will like if you cast the spell, the boat will disassemble itself and reassemble itself back near his manor. As, so it's kind of got this gameplay function where it's like a warp, but also it's like what the hell is this guy's like deal? Like should I be helping him or not? I don't know. And there's and there's actually been like some hints. I don't know how this game ends or how it works in terms of a narrative, but. Uh, there's this character who's like this lighthouse keeper who's like, I don't know what you think you're doing, but you should see if there's another way. So I don't know if there's sort of this thing where it's like, you should not do, like you're prescribed to do this one thing, but maybe you maybe you shouldn't do it that way because this guy doesn't might not have like the best intentions in mind for why does he want all, why does he want you to gather all these artifacts? I don't know. Uh, so it's, it, so talking about this game here, is this game an RPG? Eh, not really, but it has like some of the puzzle elements. It has some progression. Uh, it's I do like the game for being kind of it hits a very fun tone in terms of it's not scary, but it's a game that does still kind of feel better to play like, <laughs> you know, when it's bright or with your lights on rather than like in your cave in the middle of the night <laughs> in, in the pure darkness, because <laughs> it does get a little bit moody and it's got like a soundtrack that backs it. It gets creepy, especially if you like reading like tooltips or or text. Um, cause the way the game describes the fish you're catching, how these like characters look and act, um, it, it gets, it's just, it's a very, very particular feeling that it evokes when you play it. And it's not a bad one. It's just a different one. It's not a, it's not one that a lot of games I think go for. Uh, but it also kind of, it's, it's the sort of game where it's like, it's midnight. Your panic meter is, is elevating. You're still like a few, you know, a few meters away from the nearest dock. You hope you're not going to like get caught by something un- unseemly. And then when you finally dock, you actually kind of exhale and you're like, whew, I made it. I'm fine. So not a lot of games kind of have that sort of like, well, I won't say not a lot, but I haven't played a game recently that had that sort of like tension to it without being mm-hmm. a turnoff. Some games like you, there's a little bit of tension to it and you're like, nope, I'm not interested. I play games to relax, not to, not to stress out. But this game just strikes a really good balance of giving you just enough tension to to actually be like engaging and it kind of exciting to play. Uh, so th- that's dredge at a high level. It's I think we put in uh, and me and my girlfriend have been playing it. I think we put in like 12 hours and we've gone to like three of the five major regions. So I, I my guess would be it's like a 15 hour game or so. Uh, so not pretty, pretty breezy. Um, there's some side quests that you can do. Like, for instance, I found a side quest where I found an abandoned dog uh, on like on a beach and then I had to find a home for him. And I was able to like find a find a lonely researcher at an outpost who was trying to study like sonar waves and different old equipment to try to keep the monsters at bay. And she was like, I'm lonely. No one else is assigned here. So you can kind of give her the dog. And it's kind of fun because now when you go back to her to, to like just to engage with her or, or talk to her or do any shopping she, in her portrait, like the dog's now in the background. So there's little there's little things like that that are just kind of like. Little, little, little fun, little excursions, little side things that you don't have to do, but um, it's a sort of game that you can kind of be fun to make sure, like almost like Wind Waker, where you go to every island, every single island has a little tiny story, even if it only takes 10 or 15 minutes, just to kind of engage with and kind of see what there is to see there. Um, and I don't know, it, it's kind of been a, a fun surprise, and I wanted to at least give it a, a little bit of a shout out here because it came out recently and I've enjoyed it a bit. And I think it would be in the sort of place that 
readers or listeners to our site would would find some enjoyment out of. That seems cool. I mean, like it has a shitload of fucking over, overwhelmingly positive reviews on Steam as well. So, oh, is, know, is, it, is it overwhelmingly positive? Yeah, yeah. Oh, neat. So yeah, it's it's, it's in a hot topic at least in the in those spaces. Like I've heard the name, but I never really knew what it was. So you know, mm-hmm. I've learned a lot here. Mm-hmm. Like, like the only thing I knew, like vaguely going in, was like people describing it. it's like it's like FTL, but with like I'm fishing. I'm like that seems neat, but like it's that it's it seems way more than that. It's it's much slower pace than FTL. FTL, I remember late in that game, I'm like ah oh, shit, something's on fire. Ah oh, shit, the airlines. <laughs> it's been, it's been a few. It's been several years since I played that game, but I remember that game. I feel like it's a lot of twitch reaction speed, where Dredge has a lot more space for planning and like all right today i'm gonna my goal is to do this and like you can kind of take it day by day like in-game day in terms of like being methodical so it is kind of like ftl but at like half speed okay to its benefit i think (laughs) and the last game we have slotted here to talk about is uh i was asking the cast here uh what we wanted to put in in the last slot here and then uh true to itself uh asked chow and chow was like you know what I'm going to play a game from uh from 20 years ago because that's who I am. So Chow, Good. Chow I wish I was you. <laughs> no, no, I I I'm I'm being cheeky, but I really do genuinely enjoy this cuz this is a game that I was not aware of and I'm excited to in the next few minutes learn more about. Chow has been playing a game called Venus and Braves and to tee us up a tiny bit, I went ahead and did research. And by research, I mean I googled this. I went to the Wikipedia page. This is a Nameco RPG that came out on the PS2 in 2003, only in Japan. As far as I can tell, it's a standalone title, uh, though it did no, have it's some... actually a se- it's actually a sequel. Actually it has actually sequel. all right. I'm wrong, so I'll hand off. Uh, so, so Chow, you've been playing Venus and Braves. Uh, first, I had, I just ask like, what brought you back to this game in 2023, and like, uh, what are your thoughts on it? It's been 20 years, and that's exactly why I want to finish this game back in the day because I love. The main music, the main theme, the main theme is awesome. But apparently, there's some kind of lawsuit going on. Someone saying that you stole my music. I demand you to remove it. It's a waltz for crying out loud. So I don't know what the hell they're doing. It's I mean, everyone's trying to sue people for all kinds of things these days. But uh, anyways, it's a sequel to a game called Seven: The Knights of uh, what is it? The Knights of Mormoth. Uh, Seven. I never played Seven, so I can't tell you exactly what Seven is. But apparently this game is loosely connected to to seven. So uh let's give a brief rundown on how this game plays like. This is an extremely complicated game to play. I, I think you need like the galaxy brain to play this game. It's kinda like I remember the battle system looking fucking crazy. <laughs> you, you need, okay, so it's like okay, so the basic battle UI looks like ogre battle. If you get what I'm saying, uh, the characters are placed on a grid, a three by four grid, and then, you know, and there's an enemy in the front, right? So it looks like Ogre Battle on the front, but the game does not play anything like Ogre Battle. Mm-hmm. So what happened is that your characters in the front can only attack the boss, and then the people in the middle kind of not really do anything, and the people in the back will do use their support abilities. And so every time, like, the people in the front attacks, uh, your turn is over, and you're given the opportunity to swap the people in the middle into the front, and the people in the front will go all the way to the back. Yeah, and like then... you, rotate, you can rotate them like per turn or something. Yeah, right? yes. 
Uh, but to make it even more complicated, this game has like a you know like a generation system, right? So that your, you know, like Fire Emblem, you know how the kids can pass their abilities. You like Agarest? Sort of, you know. I don't play Agarest, <laughs> so I can't tell you. So, so now you have that to the mix. It's like now you're you're like wait, but if I rotate my position, then those people might not end up together because now I'm <laughs> messing up my rotations, right? So there's a lot of like picking ahead and shit to it, right? And yeah, there's also permadeath. Oh yeah, that too. So it, it makes it very. It's actually a pretty aggravating game for what I remember. Like I played the. This is like also on PS2, but I only played the PS2 version. Yeah, so it's now. a very it's a very difficult game. And if you get like hurt in your battle, you become fatigued in your next battle. So it's like it makes it like you have to plan very far ahead with this with this game. I remember, um, okay, so, like, the battles, like, kind of look like an isometric, like, like you know, like, four people are lined up in front of the boss, but then there's, like, a grid at, like, the bottom right corner that, like, shows you their positions, right? Yeah. So, like, I remember part of that, um, uh, system is, like, there's, like, percentages over them. I think they kind of look like chess pieces on that board, and there's, like, percentages. I forgot what the percentages did. Those percentages, it's like their HP, if I remember. Is it just their HP? Okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of that simple. But like I'm saying, there's too much things. Like it's very complicated because of all the generation system that you have to put in. And the reason why there's a generation system, it goes with the storyline, right? So in this game, you play as a guy with a very edgy name. <laughs> His name is Blood Bowl. But people oh, just call yeah. Blood. Hell yeah! It's like. I was like, oh yeah, it's like my name is Blood, and everyone just calls him Blood, and I don't think it's like edgy, you know. But uh, anyways, Blood runs this Golem Brigade. So there is uh, at the at the start of the game, there's like four members. Okay, there is um, what is it? There is the caretaker of them. Like she's treated like kind of like the caretaker. She's like taking care of everyone's laundry, does everything like their housework. Um, there is. Was it? There's like a gluten in the party. He's reckless and he does a lot of stupid things. Uh, I think his name is uh, Whippy. I I can't can't really say his name. It's like Whippy. I think that's how you say his name. And then there is a veteran in the group uh, who's like their teacher. Uh, his name is Warris. And then he he's like the mentor figure to everybody in the team. And then there is also one more guy named Galif. Galif. Uh, Likes to have kids. That's kind of like his motivation. He's just like, <laughs> it's like I just want to have kids. I like, I like children. That's kind of like it, right, for him. Anyways, there, there's like a bunch of brigade that will kill any monsters, um, you know, that comes into their city, and you know they'll protect the city from danger. And one day there is a mysterious woman that tells Blood that you know that there's one guy that's a liability to your team. I think Blood already knows who the liability is, but he doesn't want to dismiss him, right? Mm -hmm. Because, like, why would I do that? It's like, he's my friend. I'm not going to kick him out of my team, right? And then it's like, it's like you had to do that. If you, if you have him stay in your team, he's going to be a liability, and your team's not going to get stronger. And he's like... Well, it's important to note that, like, Blood is always, like, alive during all these generations, right? Like, I think, like, Blood's, like, immortal, so, like, Yes, like, yeah. yes, but that will come into the plot later, right? Yeah, okay. You'll you'll yeah. find out later. And then there's one incident where Ripple, he's the gluten guy, right? He likes to eat, and one day he bought this dragon uh, lizard tail or something like that. And then people were like, are you an idiot? 
it's like there's no way they would sell like dragon material in the town. You probably got duped or something like that. And then he decided to eat that dragon tail and had a massive stomach ache when they were fighting like a like a giant monster. And everyone's like, "Oh, I got a stomach ache." Uh, then you know it's like, and everyone's like, "Oh my god!" It's like we have to run from this battle because you have a stomach ache. And then I guess, I guess that was at the snapping point that Blood had to dismiss him from the party, right? And you're kind of like forced to do it because if you don't dismiss him, you just can't progress with the game. It's like the illusion of choices. Is like, can I keep him? No, you cannot keep him. And then, uh, and the next part is that mysterious woman comes in and tells Blood that, hey, you know that mentor figure in it. You only got five years left. He's gonna die if you bring him. And Blood chose to ignore those warnings because he is lonely. He needs companionship, so he decides to bring him along, even though like he doesn't believe the woman's words. Of that he's gonna die, and anyways, you you encounter like the main kind of like antagonist for most of the story in this part, and I think one of the incident is that the Galif, the guy that likes kids, decided to rescue this like this little kid that's in danger that's out of town, and so he's like the main character decides to leave the town so that they can save him, and. That mysterious woman tells Blood, it's like, are you an idiot? It's like, you choose to save your two friends? It's like, if you do that, the entire town's going to be destroyed. It's like, and then it's like, yeah, I don't care. I'm going to save my friends. And then he did save his friends. And yes, the town becomes completely destroyed and his mentor figure died. And then it's like, then we finally find out who this mysterious woman is. She is the goddess. And the goddess is the one that gave blood immortality. Oh yeah, okay, that's that's right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So he has been immortality. That's that's why there's this gimmick of generations and stuff. So blood killed this gigantic monster back 300 years ago. I think they call him. I have um, to ask: Does blood knows? Like he doesn't have any amnesia or any memory fogginess. He knows. Like he knows. Oh, he just okay. doesn't. He just wants to ignore these things he's, he's okay. a very lonely guy <laughs> okay so because he's he sees all his friends die over time so he doesn't want to be lonely anymore like every time a friend dies or someone close to him die he, he would engrave that dead person his name onto his arm like a tattoo of like all his dead friends so oh, that's right oh god so yeah this is a very depressing game so literally, like every time it's like, okay, so the goddess revealed herself. She has no human empathy, so she doesn't understand why blood would do these things. Like she just keeps thinking, you know, you just need to accomplish this task. So in in the end, it's like uh, the reason why she prepped him for this and why she gave him like immortality when he defeated this monster is because in a hundred years from now, the god of destruction will come in, and she wants him to destroy the prep for this battle to destroy the god of destruction because they have because she is the god of prophecy she knows the future and she needs to prep them for this incident right and the story goes in like okay so the first time i fucked up because i ignored the goddess's warnings the second time i i tried to try to like listen to her words but i still fucked up so this game is like you always fucked up no matter what you do and i guess it it, it kind of like goes right eventually but like no matter what you do, it's like, like you get, it's like it's like Odin's fear. It's like people trying to like prevent the prophecy from happening, but they it still happens anyways because they either they choose to ignore it 
or they choose to follow it, you know? Uh, like, the, there is villains in the story, and those villains is the one that kills the mentor figure at the beginning. Uh, I think they're, like, part of this dragon that the humans were trying to enslave at one point, and, and he's working with another human that, that seems to have immortality, and then they're trying to, like, they're trying to summon the god of destruction, so they're creating the problem, you know, because of how they were treated. So that's kind of like the general's plot line. You're you you're basically have a hundred years to prep to destroy uh to fight the god of destruction, basically. So that's kind of like Venus of Brave in a nutshell. I forgot uh, how like the progression went. I forgot if like if like if there there are actually like normal mobs you fight or if it was like only like bosses, pretty much. I uh, I, a lot of mobs are basically like boss fights in, okay. in my opinion there so basically how the game goes it's like your characters don't exactly level up but every time they fight their weapon proficiency gets better and then um because it takes time to go anywhere so let's say you're in the world's map right you take one step that's a day so just walk into the boss probably it'll take you like a couple months right because of how fast the uh-huh. time moves but in yeah world's map uh how the level up system work is by your age so your character has a peak performance age and then the declining performance age so let's say your character is 20 years old and they'll hit the prime at like 38 like like their stats will reach there that's their prime and once they're like over 38 years old oh yeah you can like actually like screw yourself over if you get if you actually land on the boss like at like and everyone's like not at a good age yeah. for that. Yeah. So once your age is like past your peak, uh, then you start to get negative stat gain when you level up or when you get older. So that's how the game. It's just like real life, man. So this game is like very, like mechanic heavy. It's like you have a lot of planning and a lot of things to do. Uh but like I said, like a lot of it could be cheesed through like the like the generation system. Like you can make like. A very powerful kid because you know the kids have kind of like the benefits of the parents right they'll be like oh yeah this guy's parent is a knight and this is a priest priest has very shitty stats or you know defensively right and while the knight is good you know with physical strength and you know all that crap and then so the kid will have none of those drawbacks so now you probably have a priest but with the you know, with the stats of a knight, so now you're like, now that is a very tanky set character now, right? So a lot of the, so I guess you, you would take the generation system to your favor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, so like, like the first generation of character, like, I guess like how the game is treated, it's like there's like several arcs, uh, per generation. Like the first character, like that I mentioned, like with the gluten and all those people, like, it's like once they find out, like. That blood needs to face a battle in hundred years. They all decided, no, we. It's like there's no way we'll be alive in hundred years. So they're like, you're on your own now, blood. And you know, so that's kind of like how the game goes. Like story characters will not suffer from the permadeath system in this game. So they're just kind of like knocked out. But if there's a story character, like if there's a you know like the generic character you recruit, if they died, it's permadeath. Uh, at least your progress does not completely go to waste because of the items they use. You know, there might be some proficiency that you can at least give it to somebody else. So at least that's kind of like the mechanics in this game. I would well, say... Namco ever re-released this game. 
I would hope so, but I don't know. There's a lot of things happening. I mean, it's been 20 years. It's like a man could dream. Look, a lot of people don't even know this game exists. Like, okay, like basically in the storyline, if you love Odin's Sphere, you'll love the story because there is lots of like, like trying to deny fate or trying to embrace what fate is, like your destiny, you know, like that kind of idea. I, it even has a like similar approach with the ending too. It's kind of cool. So, Did it have branching and like multiple endings? Um, I'm not sure there is multiple endings. Okay. I think there might be like, like, like. But by the end of the game, when you beat it, it's kind of like like the Fire Emblem traditional endings, right? It'll tell you like the storyline of it's like what happened to this character after you know from this time. It's like blah 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 blah. You know, it's like you know little. Little paragraphs explaining what happened to that person, right? I forgot. It's like my my memory is so, but the, the, like the one memory I have in this game is like the battle. So you, I look crazy. I barely remember the rest. It's of like, this game. but yeah, it's definitely a classical. I would say. Yeah, it's, uh, a, it's fuck, man. I never thought I'd hear about this game ever again. Uh, if you, if you're ever interested, at least listen to the main theme of this game. It's like and tell me if that music has been stolen or not. But it is a very good listen. Give it a look. Just type in Venus and Brave, uh, the vaults for area, and that's the main theme right there. Yeah, and then for people like who also like don't know, like they, this game also did get a remake like in 2011, and it has like cameos from like Tales of characters in it. Yes, it was oh. the PSP version. Yeah, so uh, uh, when I pulled this Wikipedia page up back, you know, when we were talking started the discussion of this game, at the bottom it's like. Other links, Tales series. I'm like, wait, what? Oh, it's because in the PSP remake, they're like, hmm, how do we? Uh, we're Nameco. Uh, yeah, you recognize these characters, right? You can have uh, Colette and Kles and a few others. Yeah, people got really upset about that. It's like they felt like they were out of place because they would be like, they be like throwing like these generic Tales anime art versus the people in Venus and Braves, which looks completely different art wise. Oh. So everyone's like kind of upset when they were first announced that I don't know. It's people get upset when people find like their settings don't match or something like that, you know. Yeah, but it, but it, it is definitely like a unique game. Like that, there still isn't like quite quite a, a, a game like it in terms of like how it rolls uh, out like its mechanics and how that gets married. Like how it does a generation system plus the way it like deals with its uh, battle because like since rotation is such a big part of it, you kind of have to like. There'll be like some parts of battles that we have to compromise. Like you know, you need to have like uh because of how boss behavior works on a rotation, like you kind of have to like work it into your favor, like uh, of like dealing with like boss cycles because of uh like you, you want like certain character archetypes to be at this position uh, in this boss turn, or else they're gonna fucking wipe like a certain row if you mismanage like a, a certain position. Yeah, it is definitely a very difficult game in my opinion. But, but it's more comprehensible than something like Unlimited Saga. So, Chow, yes. have you have you ever seen the uh, the credits of this game? Have you ever cleared it? Uh, I have seen the credits. All right, and, and I I love the ending. It's it's it, it kind of reminds me of Odin Sphere's ending, and you know, it's like okay, if you are if you're really good at recognizing like the voice actors, uh, it's like you kind of find out who the narrator is, like at the beginning of the game. You know, there's a narrator that kept talking about what. The hardships that blood goes through but it's like hmm how would this person know it's like well not many people have immortality but you know it's just like 
It's just like if you could recognize the voice, like, oh, he already spoke who the narrator is, which is quite interesting for this game. Oh, is is that is that the big twist at the end? Is the perspective of the story? Is a it's certain... told from the it's told from the narrator, and it's like, yeah. oh, and then, and, and then it reveals who the narrator is. That's yeah. that's kind of neat. So, yeah, so that's this game in a nutshell. No, no, thanks for. Uh, I always kind of enjoy when we close out our games talk section on on one of your experiments and it's kind of interesting and kind of makes me wish that we, you know, it's been the, even, even the remake of this game is 12 years old at this point. So don't know if there's any, any chance, you know, snowballs chance in an oven that we'll ever see this revisited again, but it seems kind of fun. Is there a fan translation available or no? I think someone's trying to like translate a few things and they just give up. So there's no, you're just like tough luck. No. No, but like, no, I, I'm not sure if we're struggling this game because it's all in Japanese and it's like a hard read or something. Uh, it's like I don't know. I I love how there's one YouTube video in the in the in YouTube that gave it a review and gave it a zero out of five, saying the characters talk too much. I that's, that's awesome. like is that a problem? <laughs> that's funny. Uh, there there it is. No, no, thank you, Chow, for taking the opportunity to talk to us about. A little-known name RPG from a while back, Venus and Brave, and uh, we will likely never see it uh, in English. So it's a good game to learn Japanese for. It sounds like it's a very hard read. Yeah, I would say so. so. All right. So, well, we've already called out most of the site features, and we've gone through our games talk section. There are a few other site features up on the site that we'll just roll through here right before we go into the news, which is pretty light this week. Uh, James over the last week has put up two features up on the site as well. In addition to the one, the, in addition to the ones from Scott that we talked about earlier, uh, he put up a feature for the Etrian Mystery Dungeon, which originally came out in 2015. And James, what was your thesis here about your article? It's time for Etrian Mystery Dungeon to get another chance. And like, what's what spurred uh, this uh, publishing this this week? Well, it, originally I was trying to uh, time it up with the uh, anniversary of the localization on the 7th. I uh, didn't quite make it, but um, <clears throat> the idea is, is that we're so we're getting these remasters of the first three Etrian Odyssey games. Mm-hmm. But I remembered that, well, we never got Etrian Mystery Dungeon 2. So I looked it up and apparently like Etrian Mystery Dungeon 2 was the last like truly new game in both the Etrian Odyssey series and the Mystery Dungeon series, because like we had Etrian Odyssey Nexus, but that wasn't really a new game so much as a best of collection. Mm -hmm. And you had the remake of the original Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, but that was like a remake of a game that already existed. So for two franchises that are maybe not the biggest, but definitely like have renowned to them, how they're following the, you. Yeah, the most recent new game from both of those series just has never been seen outside of Japan. As Trey mentioned, as, uh, Mystery's Dungeon yeah. 2. Yeah. Okay. It would be it, it would be a shame if, especially now that the eShop is dead, that if we never had a chance to play that game. And it's like, it's a Mystery Dungeon game. You could easily get, get them working on Switch or something. It would... It would it would be really nice if we got like a collection of the first two or something. I don't know. When is that? Uh, when is that remake slated for, or not? Or remaster bundle set, whatever it is. It's May, isn't it? I think. 
Adam, help. <laughs> I mean, you can try. Your, uh, I'm gonna go Etri and Steam. See what what does it? Uh, yeah, the last uh, day of May, May 31st. Ah, sweet. Well, hopefully that'll do well, and we'll at least get the opportunity to get those series, uh, both Etri and Odyssey or or Mystery Dungeon, kind of on Switch, on PC, playable for you know modern audiences, and hopefully get the opportunity to revisit those and see games like. Mystery Dungeon 2 that we never got over here in the West. So, yeah, James put up his uh, feature about Etrian Etrian Mystery Dungeon up on the site. And then also in the last week, uh, James was able to attend an in-person event sponsored by Humble Games for another indie product that is slated to release later this year. And that is a game called Stray Gods. And does it have a subtitle? Yeah, Stray Gods, the role-playing musical which I've heard about this game a little bit over the years. It was originally kickstarted a few years back, if I recall correct, under a different title called Chorus. I do know that it kind of got rebranded a little bit because I think that name was uh, another project had taken it. But So James, I don't remember exactly how it came to be that you were able to attend this event by Humble Games for Stray Gods. And this is not a game that we have covered in a lot of detail on the site as is. So just kind of tee us up. Like, what is this game? How did you learn about it? How was the event? And like, what were your thoughts? So over the last like uh, half a year or so, I've been getting these. Um, <clears throat> I guess ever since I did that uh, Square Next thing in September, I've been. I guess I must have been put on a list at Forty Seven, which is this. Uh, for anyone that's not in the industry, they're a uh, PR company that handles uh, stuff for a bunch of different um, companies. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and since I'm in the LA area, I've been getting these invites to a bunch of different things. It's how I got to. Got the chance to play, uh, well, preview Gotham Knights uh, last year. I got an invite to a Forspoken thing that I wasn't able to attend because I got COVID. Um, and a bunch of other things. So basically, I just, like, I get back from uh, the Star Wars Jedi Survivor press event. And I immediately, in my inbox, I had this invite to this uh, night where they kind of talked about the game and went over the ideas for stray gods and uh it's interesting because it's a narrative it's a musical rpg and they even call it an rpg so it's something we would want to cover regardless but it's so you play narrative rpgs and it's like basically similar to visual novels or adventure games where you make choices and branching paths that sort of thing the kind of I, I don't want to call it a gimmick because it's basically the core gameplay loop of this one, at least from how it was described and how they showcased it through an example on the stage, is that you make your choices, but it's not in between these like musical numbers. It's in the middle of songs and there's like multiple choices in the songs. So literally the music itself can radically change based off of the choices you make in the middle of the song. And a lot of the night was dedicated to kind of explaining how exactly that worked and basically how they had to kind of like record the vocals first in like chunks. And then they composed this like the song. After that, like they they like added to it and like to back up the vocals afterwards. And it's like it's going to be interesting to see how this works in practice, because like it's one thing to kind of give an example on the stage, like a pre-rehearsed uh, like 
like complete song on a stage, which they used to showcase. And they had like these like lights to kind of uh, signify when a choice was made, which I think is a neat way of like giving people the idea of what it's supposed to look like and how it's supposed to work. Um, but it's one thing for something like that to like uh, go over well on the stage. It's another thing entirely to see, okay, is this going to work as a game when things have to be timed and edited and all that sort of thing. And it's not just like pre-rehearsed. Um, but yeah, I, it was an interesting little event and, uh, I, I almost cheekily said, well, would this count as a preview? Cause it's like, if the gameplay itself is the music, mus musical stuff and they're showcasing how it's supposed to work. But, uh, yeah, it, it was an interesting time and I'm, I'm excited to see what the game itself feels like. Uh, apparently there's going to be a demo early next month so i guess we don't I have to wait too long to see how how it works out but uh yeah yeah they released a trailer a new trailer for it too and like it was hard to like kind of get a sense of like how the game actually goes so like i, I think it's i think it's a, I th the type of game that's like it's just like it's one of those things like you just have to kind of play it for yourself and see how it goes i think it's an incredibly hard type of concept to kind of like market and try to describe um even like you know, like even having to hold an event to like kind of get get like the gist of like you know the flow of it. I I think it's an interesting concept. It's just I imagine this is very hard to kind of just like describe just because of the 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 intrinsic yeah. nature of the game is just so ebb and flow. Yeah, I, it's it's like one of those things where it's inevitably a game where it's really really easy to be skeptical about how well it will work in practice but on the same token it's absolutely one of those things where it's you you hear the concept you hear what they're going for you understand how much work it must have been to get this working and it's like man i hope yeah. it lands this sounds like something really cool if they can manage it that would be awesome so. yeah i definitely want to check out that demo next month and just uh, it has to be it ha i think it's one of those things like the demo in, in some respects may make or break it you know for a lot of people <laughs> yeah yeah it's inventive enough that you can't just say oh it's like this other game or like this other game it's like well it's got like time to dialogue choices but back to music and it's all got to flow together so it'd be interesting to see if they ever make some of that behind the scenes information available publicly about exactly what technical things need to be considered in order to say like we want to give the players agencies and if these things have kind of like divergent well, narratives but it's got to have go ahead there's a lot of the uh, stream where oh. like, the first half of the event they actually it was part of a live stream and they 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 were very open about like how hard it was to get this working and what they had to do like like full props are being completely transparent on it's like like one of the things they said at the beginning of the event is like we at first we wondered why nobody had tried this before and now we can definitively say is because it's because it's really really hard <laughs> it, it's really really hard <laughs> As I get older, I kind of really like now they tell me that there's those VODs. I might ask for a link on that just as some casual watching. I also in like the last week, I've watched some behind the scenes stuff on um, one of last year's games, Pentiment. And I'm only bringing that up as just it was another kind of behind the scenes of how it take what it takes to put these games together, like in that in that game's case uh, during COVID and probably in this game's case as well. I looked up. Uh, I misspoke. It wasn't Kickstarter. It was Fig back in 2019. 
Uh, this game back then was called Chorus, an adventure musical, and now it's called Stray Gods, the role-playing musical. Uh, so back in 2019 was when it was originally crowdfunded, and then it has kind of been in development shift uh, since then, currently slated to release in August. And I wasn't aware of the demo next month, so that'll be that'll be really interesting to go to go hands uh, to watch the vod, go hands on, and see exactly how this game is put together. Because there is really, it sounds like it's really kind of quite inventive in a way that it's hard to draw comparisons to other projects because there really isn't any that has tackled the same thing. So James has those two features up on the site for both the Etrian Mystery Dungeon look back and the Stray Gods kind of preview or at least event impressions piece. Uh, and yeah, we'll have we'll potentially have a chance to look at the demo in the next month or so to see how we feel going hands-on, or at the very least when the game releases uh, later this summer. With that, we'll go into the news section of this podcast, and this is pretty light. And looking at the different headlines this week, it, I ended up finding that the major two headlines of this week's podcast are very similar to what we saw last week. So last week, we spent a good chunk of time talking about the one, two of the biggest games for the summer, especially for our site. And that's, of course, Final Fantasy 16 and Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. So last week it was we had uh, a new trailer and some PAX footage for Final Fantasy 16. And then we had a 10 minute gameplay demo for Tears of the Kingdom. This week, what we have is we have a new state of play, 20 minutes of footage of Final Fantasy 16, and then an additional final trailer for Tears of the Kingdom. So these two games, like I always feel kind of like I'm doing them both a disservice by like pairing them together, but they always just seem to like the, the, the information is coming together for both these games. And they're one's obviously coming out in May, one's coming out later in the summer. So, and obviously from completely different types of games and completely different studios. Uh, so I put here listed first, obviously for our site's bread and butter, uh, the state of play, the 20 minutes of footage that we got from Final Fantasy uh, 16. So we've talked about this game quite a bit in the last month as a ton of details have come out. We've gotten a lot of raw gameplay footage, gotten, a, gotten to see a lot of the environments, exactly how this game will play, tons of new combat footage, uh, a little bit more detail on the story premise. Uh, I wrote a few notes to myself for this state of play footage just to kind of make, uh, without diving too deep into it, just kind of make some notes exactly what was shown here. But in general, I really enjoyed this uh this look in here for Final Fantasy 16. It's made me really excited for the game. Um, I don't know if, if other people have felt the same way. I know some people like Adam, they're on board whether they watch the footage or not. But I don't know if there was anyone that took a look at this state of play and thought that it was uh, it was as equally impressed as I was. It was probably I, the most effective I, like piece of like marketing they've done for the game. Like uh, like it, uh, compared to like everything they've shown before this, like everything before this felt like a fucking joke. You know, this is oh, like... Yeah. Yeah, it was like okay. Fi finally, actually showed like well, how like they like how this game progresses. You know, you actually see like what the game looks like from like when you're playing when you pick up the controller and you start playing the game. You yeah, know? it feels yeah. like all the marketing beforehand was very like drip fed, just bits and pieces. And now this is just like the floodgates opening, and it's like everything that I wanted to see and probably a bit that I didn't want to see, I mm -hmm. saw. And like I was going to play it like day one regardless, but this is definitely like take um like this has definitely taken my like hype levels from, well, I'm excited for it, I guess, and I'm going to play it. I know it's going to be good to, oh, yeah, this uh, this I, I forgot. This is <laughs> this is uh, the game that Creative Business Unit 3 has been working on essentially since work on Heavensward wrapped. 
that's been a long time. They've put a lot of time and money into this. It shows. <laughs> I remember when this game was first shown way back when, back when, back when a lot of people, the immediate comparison people made was Witcher. I think that comparison is still come, somewhat valid, but I remember people at the time thinking like, is this next gen? Does this look like a new Final Fantasy game? It felt people, it was very understated. But now I feel like this is them just kind of like just Square Enix kind of flexing in a way that we haven't seen since like Final Fantasy 13 era, early PS3, where they're just like, all right, we've got so many just different environments here. This 20 minutes of footage, about half of it is like combat footage, either from the straight action RPG uh, Clive battle footage or the icon battles. Uh, that's actually kind of what they closed on in this 20 minutes of footage was the icon battle footage, which... I feel kind of strange diving directly into that first, but I remember when I was first described, I thought like, ah, these are just going to be like interactive cutscenes or QTEs, or they might be a little bit, you know, they'll, I, they'll be okay, but they'll be spectacle more than substance. But then the more they show of it, the more I'm like realizing actually, maybe not, maybe they've got something here. Cause they've got like some icon battles that are like twin stick shooters or like bullet hells or like, uh, more, more similar to the, to the straight gameplay. Only now you're controlling Ifrit instead of Clive. Like I look at these icon battles and I'm like, man, maybe these are actually quite like quite significant, like truly spectacles and not just and not just style over substance. Uh, but, like for me, the icon battles are like I think they're just like like they're they're, they're spectacles for sure. They they look nice. They're they're eye catching for sure. But like it's it's like one of those things. Like they're very isolated instances of gameplay, like unique mm -hmm. gameplay to me. Right? It's like it's a nice thing, but I don't think like you know overall it's not like in a that, that that's not really the thing that I'm like that catches my eye in this game like you know I, i'm i'm more interested about like like how gameplay mechanics work like you know how like the odin icon like that it's more about like the implications of like what the icons can do like the o mm -hmm. the odin icon style for example like you're building up for a more substantial zanetsuken while you can like you can definitely activate a more less version of zanetsuken you want like you're ideally trying to uh charge up like the odin icon style to perform like the more the 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 max enhanced version is not is not a zuka, which is basically a judgment cut from Devil May Cry, you know, and that's like, oh, that's really that's really cool. How will you, um, what, what are the uh, how well does it like synergize with other icon gameplays and styles and like managing cooldowns and what sorts of like kind of like we start you're starting to think of like what sorts of builds should you start to start try, striving towards like when you they start showing off like the ability tree. And like and, and like you know, it, it shows like the not the nice modern quality of life things that like modern games do. Like like when you're at an ability tree, it shows like a video clip of like exactly what that, um, you know, the uh, uh, ability does. And then like it shows like you know, some of them can be upgraded to like uh, for further uh, effects and like more damage. You see other quality of life things like when you show side quests, you know, you can go directly teleport and warp to like the side quest of like the NPC. You know, you have to go looking for them. Like going through a town, like there's like there's like a nice quality of life feature to just like just go boom boom boom, go from one side quest NPC to the next. It's instant teleportation, pretty much. And like you know, it being like developed the old like right right now PS5 exclusivity in mind, they can start like you know having maybe fulfilling the prophecy of like minimal to no loading times, like or no loading times in general. You know, mm. um, um, and I just think a lot, a lot about that, those sorts of things of like I just like, kind of appreciate in this like extended look finally that like you just kind of get to see more of like what you're doing as an actual person playing through this video game, you know. And and uh, shout outs to all the people who were mid fans for all this time in the Final Fantasy fandom. You got your redemption. We have a new mid 
in uh, in a Final Fantasy game. If people don't remember, Mid was Sid's grandson from Final Fantasy V. Obviously, Mid is not that same character. Uh, Mid is a woman now in uh, Final Fantasy sixteen. You know, and all that I've stuff. I've seen some people making a, a funny, um, like just a kind-hearted joke where it's like, "Wow, HRT is amazing." <laughs> Yeah, so like you know, but like uh, like that, like mid in, uh, in this game looks great. Like she has a really long braid, and like I think of like Milia Rage from Gu- Guilty Gear, you know, like if they ever like to get into combat. But like it's just nice to see that like that. That's always what like what left me kind of like wanting in like all previous versions like FF16. It's like yeah, this is cool. They got to show a little like blip of gameplay again, and like kind of like they're showing. You know, it, it was more. It was more like talking, uh, like more than showing, because like you know, obviously, with like almost like most of the times you got to see FF16 was always some sort of media tour with like extended interviews, and they kept talking and talking and talking about right, like, yeah, yeah, you'll do like different stuff in icon battles. They'll show little clips, like okay, great. But now that you're actually seeing like this world realized, you know, this is like very cool. Now you see a lot, a lot of like variety in the environments. You see like you know, traveling around with the chocobo. You see, just like you have a little hideout, uh, Sid's hideout. You they, they, you know, confirm the Sid in this game. It's like, yay! You know, that's awesome. That's that's cool. You know, I I appreciate that the little touches are like giving Clive and some NPC like some like classic FFF uh, FF sprites to kind of you know kind of give some flavoring in in the UI and Me? like seeing seeing the Lord Master do the level up pose. You know, when you uh, do, when you level up the lore and then unlock more lore, it's like that's funny and that's. That's kind of neat, you know, kind of paying legacy, you know, seeing like where FF used to be and where it is now, you know, um, and just like those little kind of touches to, to, to the things and like see the relationship chart, kind of like the kind of like uh, the, the, the animation transition of like the semicircular like unveiling of like this relationship chart in that like those like little things like a small attention to detail, like it really works a lot for me and goes a long way because like they're not uh, like the like the gameplay the combat looks flashy and cool and great but i but I, what really like speaks to me like you know beyond that is like do, how how well they paid attention to like the other parts of the presentation in this game and that and that sort of stuff is like speaks to me on like a kind of like a deeper level i kind of actually really enjoy cuz they spent a section of the state of play talking about all the different features that avail- are available at like your your hideout based sid's hideout and some of them are very like you know, you have a blacksmith, you have a shop, you have a quest counter. So like, and you actually have a hunt counter, a mark counter, which is very reminiscent of Final Fantasy XII, which I think is very cool, even including like a wanted poster and like yeah. artwork of the uh, of the monster you're fighting, and like each of them is ranked and what you get for them, etc. I always oh, think yeah. that's really neat. But um, I they have the uh, a two areas. I forget the name of the characters. One's like a lore keeper, and one's like a like a strategist named Vivian, I believe. And it's, it's, it's kind of like an in-game lore book and codex instead of like Final Fantasy 13 style. And I know Final Fantasy 15 had something similar. I don't quite remember, but it feels like divorced from the game where it's like, yeah, if you go into your menu, you can read, you know, the history of these places or these characters or what, what the current state of the world is where here it feels a little bit more, uh, diegetic where just like yeah like this character is keeping you you provide information to this character I hear, like, there's actually like librarians at your base it makes yeah. sense and like the, i forget the name of the the, the male character the, the lore keeper pretties are like something like that oh, yeah man. so so you provide information to him based on i, I presume what story point you're on what quest you've taken like all right so here's what we know of this 
region, this character, this environment, this city. And then Vivian will be like, here's the state of the world politically in terms of like, who are our allies? What's the state of our of our nations? Things like that. And the fact that it's built into like the game's narrative in that way, I think it's just, it's a way of being able to provide that information to the, to the player in a way that's not just, oh, it's it's buried in a menu somewhere. If you can't follow the story, you should have just pressed start more often. Like, no, it's, it's well, there. Lorsman, Lorsman Harpocrates is his name. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So he'll, so he, and, that, and that's the, that's the UI there that had like the, the sprite based UI about yeah. providing information to him, which is always kind of fun. But they also like they also show up like in the overall world like map. I forgot if it was like part of like the Vivian did like where it actually like shows off like the parts of the world map of like where you've been and then like when you go over not not when you go over to that part of the world map, it not only shows like sort of like the sprites of like the characters or like a sprite involved, but like it kind of has like the the tactical like war table feeling of like you see like the, the kind of like the Tetris block formations in that of like the here's the current state of affair and, and things here like here's like where. Where certain garrisons and, th- and troops are positioned, almost like a tactical war table. I'm like, that's a really cool presentation that adds to it. I'm looking at some of my other notes here. I, I I wrote a couple notes like during this, like the narration during the state of play trailer. I kind of thought that they spent a lot of time and effort really driving home that this is a mainline Final Fantasy game that is an action RPG, which is of course obvious but it has been something that has been a key point in a lot of discussions we've seen it in our social media responses we've seen it in the comment pages of our website about how this is is or is not a quote-unquote true final fantasy game because or because it isn't turn-based or action-based or whatever it's a very people feel very passionately not everyone but several people feel very passionately about this and i just kind of thought that some of the phrasing i had i saw here as they said that this is the first true action rpg for a mainline final fantasy game which i thought which i'm like wasn't final fantasy 15 that wasn't turn-based well 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 actually I can understand why where they're coming from here because 15 had the wait mode. Okay. Yeah, um, I know. I, I mean, yeah, but, lot, but I think a lot of people still played it like, you know, the active mode yeah. in that game. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, there are plenty of side games or even seven remake that are action RPGs, though, again, also have a wait mode. Um, I thought they, they, they talked very specifically about how, like, you control only Clive. He has allies that will assist him, but you, the player only needs to worry about Clive. Don't worry. The other allies will react to your commands or your, your inputs. Um, they talked about how there are these timely accessories. They spent a more time on this than I would have expected them to about if for those that uh, want an easier time, A, there's that story mode versus action mode. Like that's that's the toggle apparently upon very selecting your game at the very start. And then in, in addition to that, there's like these accessories that will auto evade or automate things like that. I, so, I guess to I, I guess to like to, to, to make sure that like to clarify that, like it doesn't change the game substantially. Like if it's like a story mode versus action mode, like story mode, story focus mode just says, hey, at the beginning of the game, we'll give you accessories that uh, like make combat like easier for like in terms of like the auto dodge accessory or like the the the, the accessory that makes it so it visualizes like when you like get, can time a dodge essentially but it's, mm-hmm. it's not like something like ff7 remake or ff15 where their weight modes and the pause mm-hmm. modes is yeah uh, that, like you know it, it doesn't it doesn't change that it's still an action rpg and i can understand why they spent so much time during uh doing this is because i think they're worried like like people will get turned off that like things are always moving uh, in this game there's like no weight mode no th- none of that sort of 
there's no there's no option to kind of like pause the action but they, they want to emphasize like the hey there are things you can equip to help you um you know get used to it in terms of like you know if you if you need that extra assistance of you know if you if you if you're not good at timing dodges we'll give you an accessory to help out with that if you're not if you just want something that like gives you like a better visualization of like like when to dodge things we'll give we'll give you that as well you know i think i think they just want to try to drive home the point that like no matter what your skill level is like we think you should, you should still give this game a shot even if you might, might not be good at action games because unlike those other previous uh, other final fantasy offerings they actually had a dedicated mode for people mm-hmm. who couldn't like you know weren't really up to snuff or didn't that didn't really appeal to them with the active nature of the uh, that those games could take you know this one is like it's front and center this you have to you have to engage in real time while those other ones they always gave you a way out if you wanted them and I think that that's understandable. And I kind of agree with that. They're both saying like, hey, if you're a veteran of action games, we have a lot of that talent on staff and hopefully you'll find something really engaging here. If you're not, we've made these kind of uh, these ramps for you that you will be able to enjoy this potentially as your first action game, potentially as your gateway action RPG. Uh, so I really do think that it makes it, it does make sense that they put some emphasis on that in this state of play as kind of the very I know we had that PAX one hour extended look not too long ago, but that was, like you said, a lot more telling than showing. Where here they could show it with that information being contextualized by the gameplay shown on screen. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, like, uh, other than that, is like a lot of like recap of information, right? It's like it's like getting like for people who weren't following the marketing of FF16 uh, up to this point, a lot of it was just like you know just getting those people up to uh, you know if you if you've never seen FF16. Uh, now or so since that initial like trailer from that state of play like in 2020 like here's what it looks like now here's mm-hmm. just kind of front and center gameplay 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 you know then a little bit of the story here's a little bit of cinematics here's a little bit of the setup but mostly mostly focused on gameplay 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 which is you know that's what we needed that's yeah. that's that's what we got we got, we got, have... we got to look like the options menu as, as well in it you know sh- showing that they they will have like you know have two for four they'll have there's the it, it was sound like graphics uh, uh mode i should i but they've already uh said that they'll have a performance mode as well so you know i kind of wish i we got more footage of this game in 60 fps because i'm really interested in that but mm. you know and, and I'll, I'll play it either way you know like i'm gonna take days off of work i'm gonna fucking just tune out of the internet and just play this fucking game like I did with Elden Ring and Breath of the Wild, you know, just separate myself from the world and just, like, play to this game. I did write a note here, and I forget if this was detailed previously, and I wasn't aware, but I obviously knew that Clive, the main character, you encounter, you you play as portions of his of his journey in his teens and his twenties and in his thirties. I think I already knew that, but I didn't realize that the game starts in his twenties. And then all the, all the footage about what happens with his brother as when Clive's a teenager is all told as like a complete flashback. Like maybe that was new, not new information, but I'm like, Oh, I didn't realize that it was kind of told in media res like that. So that's kind of, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know either. I like, I think, I think, I think they're getting to the point where like, I kind of just don't want to know more about the game. Like, I, I feel like that. Fine. This is like, oh, this is like okay, right? Like, this will like this kind of getting like a, a like getting everyone up to like speed of like what this game looks like in action and like what how this, you actually play and, it, yeah. how you actually play it, play it. Like, but like at the very end of it, like like Yoshi P was like, if you want us to know more about like, the end game content or like you know this and that, I'm like 
I'm like, I, I don't know. I kind of just don't want to know more about this game. But, I, but out of like, but you know, other people are going to see it. They're going to want to talk about it. So I kind of still kind of like, why I'm probably going to keep up with it just like to talk about it here, then talk about it with friends who will want to watch that. But like personally, I'm just like, I just kind of don't want to see, like, I'm already going to play this fucking video game, you know? Like, like I understand like why they're putting so much marketing to it because like, I, I think on some fundamental level, I think they also acknowledge that like the Final Fantasy like mainline brand has like kind of lost a bit of goodwill along the way for not playing FF14, right? If you're if you if, if you're still kind of feeling burdened like how the FF13 trilogy went or like how FF15 went, like I think on some level like they the, the, they know that the mainline pe- people who are like who only followed the mainline single player experiences like like they've kind of lost that goodwill. They know and, they like, got to get people wanna... back on board. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're kind of going full force with like that's why they're going mm-hmm. so hard on this marketing. So I understand it from that perspective as well. Yeah, he said at the very end, uh, Yoshida, that there will be other information coming up in the near future specifying like end game. So the marketing cycle is not done quite yet. Uh, but obviously, we're kind of getting into if this was their big kind of reveal in terms of here's what the game is and how it'll play. Sounds like there'll be a little bit more coming up in terms of some very specific features, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people who are super eager for this game will be excited about, or others who are already on board will be like, I don't need to see that. Yeah. And of course, like I opened up with, the other footage that we got for a major summer release is that we, and this, there'll be a little bit less to chew on here because it was just a single three-minute trailer and not a gameplay preview. Uh, we got the final trailer for Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. So the last time we talked about this game, it was primarily gameplay focused. We talked about the fuse system. Uh, we talked about some of the mechanics uh, with the Ultra Hand and the Sky system and things like that with Tears of the Kingdom. And now this third trailer, final trailer, whatever you want to call it, uh, is very much focused on narrative, on story. So a lot of things that had already kind of been presumed way back from the initial teaser about, this isn't a spoiler because it's everywhere on the marketing, the return of Ganondorf, uh, things like that. Uh, I did not go frame by frame here. I know certain people who are super eager likely could to see all the things that have been introduced here. Uh, they show like automatons that are being controlled. Uh, they show a lot of the combat with the new the new abilities that Link has, uh, some story elements in terms of Link's position in relationship to Zelda as her knight, some more characters. There's like a new Rito character. There's a, a new character that is uh, presumably, I don't know if this has been confirmed or just still heavily rumored, like the Zonai civilization that is heavily teased in uh, Breath of the Wild, seems to be a major player in Tears of the Kingdom. And then of course, Ganondorf himself and his aspirations and being a big bad and all that stuff. Uh, I don't know. It's a good trailer. Makes me excited for the game in terms of the other ones kind of being very story light. We talked about the last showing of this game being more of about, quote unquote, adding verbs to the gameplay and less about the premise or the narrative. So here, I think, kind of balances out. This is kind of a good thing, I think, to to end on before the release of the game next year. Yeah, I mean, it it was a beautiful, it's like they kind of had the final pre-launch trailer and just it did everything that it needed to do, you know? Like uh, this, this is pretty much like uh, to, to me. There's like a, a perfectly crafted trailer of like it shows you the 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 premise. It shows you how the state of like the world has evolved. It's like there's a lot more civilization now that it's all more unified. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, you know, link like that. You see, you know, a lot of interaction with just like characters all over the world. You see, like you even have partners in battle now uh, with Link. Um, you see, just you, you see a lot of things in motion that like. 
it's just like it's incomprehensible onto some level, especially with the scope of the some of these battles. Like, oh, okay, I guess my switch will run this. I guess <laughs> so yeah, out of my water, <laughs> uh, you know. But um, it was just and just the 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 main theme song in this in this show is just fucking beautiful. Like the saxophone in it is just like uh, just uh, gorgeous, you know. Just I I, I loved it. I I loved this trailer. I loved everything. That was going on. Ganondorf's new design is fucking amazing. Uh, he's hot as hell, you know. It's I thought he was a Kuma for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. But so, um, uh, so I'm going to ask a question that might have an obvious answer, but me, who has only been fringe paying attention, don't quite get. So we've seen a, a fair bit of footage of this game over the last month, and you either see see Link in kind of like his hair down quote-unquote toga attire and then in this trailer you see a lot of link in more of his traditional hair back armored attire and i don't know if that's been explained or if it's supposed to say that's two different time periods or if that's just literally customization of the character i have no idea i i i feel i feel like there, there's i feel like there's said there's something that they're they're, they're, they're not uh, there's more to this that they're living on i feel like we're either i feel like they're they're either there's either going to be like a significant event that happens at the beginning of the game and then it's like okay how did it get to this point or there's maybe some sort of time skip that happens i don't know honestly mm-hmm. that the, i feel like there's like definitely a twist in this game that like they're just kind of being coy about and not showing and I, I appreciate that i feel i feel like they're showing just enough to like get people's like imaginations go run wild but like it, but uh, it, like i feel like unlike the ff16 where i feel like they're kind of teetering too much and they're teasing more to to, to show but it's like i kind of get why they're doing that like but personally like when it comes to effective like you know trailers that get me excited it's like it's trailers like these where like they they they, they preemptively showed something that's like more gameplay focused and showed the, like hey here's what's different and showed some of like the newer tools that makes you, and it's like it was very brief which is like 10 minutes or 10 to 15 minutes or whatever i'm just like gameplay that just shows like what's new in it and like very brief explanations and this one is actually just like just shows like here's the premise we're kind of teasing a little bit maybe a little bit too much of like some of the more bigger scale encounters um but it's like just just enough it's like it that it's like okay i'm fucking on board i'm very excited and like and you couple that it's like the fucking incredible main theme like i don't think this trailer comes together at all until you like put the music on top of that if the if the music wasn't as good as it was in that trailer none of this would have worked for me but like i listened to the, like i watched this trailer one day i was like that was great that was amazing that i that i just i listened to this trailer just audio only like without any of the visuals and like i teared up <laughs> well that's kind of in in line with the the very popular and almost famous uh breath of the wild trailer so it's like i wonder if this music will appear in the game anywhere or no if it's true yeah, yeah, yeah that's the thing like who knows because yeah this is the they're deceptive about that but um, all right i, but, I have uh, to ask uh do we think I see some people still holding out hope. Do we think Zelda is playable in this game? No. In fact, oh. I'd say that after this trailer, there's a higher chance that Ganon's playable. Oh, really? <laughs> Dude, I would love for Ganon to be playable. Well, here's something that people have pointed playable out. Over playable Zelda. Here's something that people have pointed out. So, well, a couple of things. One, if you remember, they mentioned that there was a reason why they... Uh, did uh, the remaster of Skyward Sword. They said because it was, well, obviously it was going to be relevant to Tears of the Kingdom. Do you remember, I guess Skyward Sword spoiler, 
what the kind of like plot thing at the very end was that uh, about- Zelda was a reincarnation of Hylia, but very specifically, she was her own character. Yeah. And how it implies that Ganon is a reincarnation of Demise. Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't that also imply that Ganon is his own character? And then the end of Breath of the Wild, like one of the things is, is that, oh, like um, Clam to Ganon, a.k.a. Demise, has given up on reincarnation. So if Ganon's here, is he really the villain this time? And if you remember, there's like this one mural thing in Breath of the Wild that showcases the ancient hero. That doesn't look like Link. That looks like Ganon's new design. <laughs> this is very out there, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> like, if this is yeah. at all right, I'm going to be like, damn. No Can you imagine if like, yeah, you imagine, like, the last, like, 10 hours of the game is like, you're, you have to be, you're playing Ganon and you have to defeat Link. And I that's think, it. Link is the final boss. I think that. And just having fun here, because like regardless of what happens, I'm excited for this. It's going to be a major. Well, I mean, Breath of the Wild is one of the best games of all time. Like, that's not that's not a I controversial just, statement. This yeah. is looking like it's going like it, it. Damn, to be fair, it damn well should look like a massive improvement, considering the fact that this is the longest wait we've had between 3D Zelda games. As long as, but, as, long as my Switch was like light on fire running it, yeah. I think it'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like just in the spirit of fun and like just the theory crafting, I think one of the things they might go for with this is that, okay, the three Triforce holders have to work together to finally end the cycle with Demise. So that would be Link, Zelda, and Ganon. Part of me is like, well, I I think this is boring, but I think the safest answer is that you play through Link the whole time and Gandor's a bad guy and nothing surprising happens. But if if Nintendo gets bold and decides to shake it up, I hope they do something along the lines of what James is oh, what James is saying here. Just just to kind oh. of put it keep us on our toes and just try something different. I hope they do something like that. Yeah, but man, well, what what an incredible trailer. And that, yeah. that was just that was short to sink to the point uh Three thumbs I, up for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to like. I, I want to be careful not like overstate it. But like, this game comes out next month, and this trailer was the one that first made me go like, "Damn, this game comes out next month." So I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah, ex- excitement finally feels real. It doesn't finally feel like this faraway thing that's that we're yeah. I, I, waiting I, on. I like that they you know that like the like the the big the big marketing things for both Zelda and FF16. Like they're now that they're finally just like really hitting in their stride. Like. It's way, way closer to the release dates, you know, at the, instead of like, oh, we still wait like four months for this game, you know, so, mm-hmm. so this is the this is good. This is good. You know, I'm, it, it's so weird that it's so close, but we, we have three more podcasts, not not counting this one. We have three more podcasts and then we can talk about Zelda. Uh, and, and you know, and and and, and the, the nice thing is, like you know, like the buffer thing is, like you know, we have Jedi Survivor across the like just just around the corner, so that'll help. You know, not to say that Jedi Survivor is kind of like the filler game till Zelda and F16. It's just like it, it's something to focus on, and then once that's done, your Zelda's right there. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, there's other incredible releases along the way too. The, the, these are the these are the heavy hitters now that that are finally. After years of waiting, it's just like now that you're getting to the spirit of things again, I'm like thinking, should I give Breath of the Wild replay? But like I still remember Breath of the Wild pretty vividly. I like I I did a replay like like a year and a half ago and I still really enjoyed that. Maybe not. Man, isn't it crazy just how like 
big 2023 is turning out to be for games. I, like mm-hmm. it's one of those things that's like there's some lo- there's some like kind of like slower spots in 2023. Like I kind of wish I, like I had like something like into to fill in those spots, but but in general, like the 2023 is like a, is is really really kind of like it's it's kind of it's kind of the year of like we're long ass games that we've been waiting for forever like are finally getting mm-hmm. released and like they're, they're real things we can actually play it's like it's kind of it's it's like in a weird shell-shocked moment it's like oh wow i could actually play, i could play the sequel to the okay remember how long we had to refer to tears of the king the sequel to breath of the wild yeah uh, <laughs> breath of the wild 2 we didn't have a name for the longest time. So, I um, love that. Like we we've we've known more about the Tears of the Kingdom as the sequel to Breath of the Wild than we have as the, as the official name Tears of the of the Kingdom. Yeah, think about that. That's Every so insane. often, I have. It's only been recently I've been able to just like keep calling it Tears of the Kingdom. Like for the longest time, I just instinctively just kept calling it Breath of the Wild. Too. Most people still call it Breath of the Wild too. I think, <laughs> or the new Breath of the Wild. <laughs> I think most people still call it that. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good. And those, like, we keep putting uh, Breath of the Wild two or Tears of the Kingdom and Final Fantasy sixteen in kind of the same bucket, only because their marketing cycles are kind of aligned right now. But yeah, so that's two weeks in a row where we've got new footage and new details for those two games as kind of our our major heavy hitters of the week for news fronts. Uh, We have a couple other things here at a few more release dates, so only a few more headlines left to go for this week. Um, We did get some more details about another May release. This is Fuga Melodies of Steel 2. Reading through this, we got some new press release that is focusing on the affinity system between children uh, on the tank and the intermission uh, portions of the game, upgrading the facilities of the tank, and then the, the game's notebook and hero mode. Now, when I read through this, as someone who hasn't played the first game, my initial thought is, isn't this in the first game? Like, this isn't new new, is my understanding, but am I missing something that's in the details of this press release that is new to the sequel? Or is this just kind of detailing how the gameplay structure of the series works? Um, Hero Mode was in the first game. Um, I don't think that's like, that, that there's anything really new. As, uh, it's just like a kind of laying out. They just introduced a new character um, that looks... I didn't. I don't know how to describe this new character, the Count Novelune. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, I, reading I, like actually reading news posts because I'll be honest, I've been mostly kind of ignoring all the news for yeah. Fuga Two because I know I'm gonna play it. Uh, yeah, the notebook and hero mode stuff is not new. It's yeah, uh, and like and this intermission stuff during the intermission phase, you can interact with other children and increase okay, your that's affinity. Right, yeah. like, that's not I, new. That, that those aren't new. The workshop and scrap fishing was in the first one also. So it's kind of like just kind of describing, hey, there's China, well, the, the events of chapter two. It's like, I don't need to know like your story, what's happened in chapter two of your new game. I can play that for myself. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I understand why they do it, but you know, I, the, that's why I don't the, the, like with James. I don't really follow it too closely because it's just like, I'm going to play this. And I'm not, yeah, I'm not trying to be like dismissive, but it just does really seem like Fuga 2 is more of the same, which based on the short turnaround time, like that's understandable and expected. And it sounds like based on Fuga 1, that's kind of what people want. They're just like, oh, okay, so put the the same mechanics in kind of a continuation of the same narrative. And a lot of it will look familiar, but potentially tweaked. Uh, So a lot of the stuff kind of should seem familiar to those that have played the first game. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that I like wanted to, if something in this press release for this uh, detailed dump for Fugo Melodies of Steel Two was indeed new, new, new. I wanted to make sure I highlighted it, but it looks like this is kind of all a lot of stuff that has 
been present in the series in the initial game in some fashion. Yeah. And kind of on a similar note for another summer release, uh, we're seeing NIS America now that they've released the English official versions of Trails from Zero and Trails to Azure. Of course, the next major project for them in terms of that series is the official Western release of Hajimari no Kiseki or Trails into Reverie, which is coming out in July. Uh, NIS America has released a features trailer for that game. Uh, I watched this trailer and it's a lot of stuff, not entirely, but it's a lot of stuff that has been present in the Cold Steel games. They show some Vantage Masters. Uh, they show some of the uh, mech battles. They do show a few of like Elisa Magical Girl minigame mode and a few like a few other mini games uh, that take place like on the beach and things like that in this game. But it's a lot of stuff where I look at this features trailer for Trails in the Reverie and it just looks like some who someone who hasn't played Hajimari. It looks like Cold Steel 5 to me, which is kind of like fine because kind of what I expected. But this features trailer here for Trails into Reverie doesn't really show anything too surprising to me. I guess the Magical Girl Lisa thing might be a fun diversion, but I expect that to be a very, very small part of the game. Just a quick little diversion that you might spend a few minutes in. But I mean, yeah, it's just packed to the the. It's there's a lot of like optional content in that game. It's just like mm. it's just a heavily condensed packed game, like with all sorts of shit you can do. That's the best way to put it. Pretty much, it's like uh, the uh, like in terms of like. When going for Trails into Reverie to like like Kuro one, like you can really feel like you know a lot of like uh, that optional content missing because they're still getting like you know Kuro one is basically they had to um, they were building a new graphical engine from like the ground up, so like they kind of had to like cut out like a lot of like yeah features that like you use you saw like in like previous games in terms of, like optional content. There's no fishing. Like they didn't yeah. get fishing finished until like Kuro Two. Like you can like people even like looked at the uh, like uh, data in the PS4 and PC versions of Kuro One. It's like yeah, no, that was a last minute like uh, that was a last minute feature that was cut. It was very clearly something that was supposed to be in there until it just wasn't. Yeah, RPG well, without fishing. How could you? Uh, I do. I do like the panda who wants to be a mirror uh, in in this uh, mm-hmm. in this trailer. No, no, nice pun. Good job, Miss. Yeah. Well, I guess. Well, the I, sad news is I'm not going to do a Trails into Reverie guide. I figure well, it takes me about three months to rewrite an Azure guide. There's no way in hell I could get what if, it's over. What, oh, if, what, no. if, what if what if Neo Seeker offers you like ten thousand dollars? Do I want to suffer for this? He's like, I'll think about it. <laughs> he has to think about it. He's like, oh, I don't know, man. I don't blame you. I wouldn't want to fucking write a fucking guide for like uh, Reverie. Reverie is just got so much shit in it. It's like I do not blame you. You're probably gonna do it for Kuro, though. I can I can already tell. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely gonna do Kuro. Oh yeah, that's I, I, that's easy but, for you, dude. Kuro, but like, but like, I was like thinking play. about it. It's like, wait, it's like Master Chords. There's like. 50 of them or some shit yeah. now. And then they have like 15 levels. I had to list like all 15 level stats versus like in Azure. Well, you list well, three levels. Well, here's, here's the worst part about Reverie. You're going to need a PSVR to finish that guide. I don't mm-hmm. own one. Well, you, you better start. Yeah, you, you, have better to get PSVR, you have to get PSVR 1 also. Don't get VR 2 or else you that will be compatible. Wait, I, I threw away my PS4. I got a PS5 now. So do you I can, have to... You can, no, no, no. You have to get an adapter for the PSVR. Yeah. 
Oh, you, have to, you, have to, you have to get like a fucking nightmare set up by your PS4 to PSVR. I, I like how Chow's like, I'm not doing a guide. And then we're just like, for your guide, you're going to need a PSVR. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are, they, are they actually going to put the PSVR features for the in the English one? Like, are they actually like localizing it, it, all that? It is, I, I'm pretty sure it is on. Well, the thing is, is that it's just like a, a, a different way of interacting with the beach stuff. So it's like the PS4 version just has it in there. I don't think they're going to update the PS5 version to be compatible, but so in a weird way, I guess technically the most feature complete version of the game that they're localizing is probably going to be the uh, PS4 version. Wait, with the PC version of Reverie, are they going to like have the VR stuff for the PC version? I don't believe so, no. Okay, so it's only the PlayStation version? Well, I think it's I'm 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 googling this around. It looks like it's the other way around. The PC version of Reverie will have VR, but the PS version won't. I'm trying to find a I found a Silicon Arrow report on it. I'm trying to find a primary um a primary source for this. Very important. Yeah, according to the Silicon Arrow post from November of last year, this will only be available for the PC version of the game. PlayStation players will not be able to play the game in VR. Wait, I, so they're cutting out they're, they're cutting out the PSVR stuff from the PlayStation version and only having that stuff for the PC. Well, wait version? a wait a second. If it's the PS4, like the PS4 version, absolutely should have it because I'm like, it would be more work to make sure it doesn't work. <laughs> that sounds crazy. If that's the case. <laughs> let me sec. Let me one second. Let me check. Yeah, that that uh, yeah. I need because uh, if that's the case, I like my mind's like exploding. I'm like, it does how does that make sense? All right. I think I think I got it. Uh, one second. It might be a confusion because like the PS5 version won't have it. So. Oh, okay. Wow. I found it. I found I, I found it. NIS America blog from uh, November of last year. VR support will be only available for the PS4 and PC versions of Trails into Reverie. So oh, not PS5. Okay. So okay. The, the Silicon Arrow <laughs> r- report of that Nice America blog was not clear. All yeah, right, you're yeah, so yeah. good, child. Just get the PC version and have a fucking VR headset that's compatible. Yeah, use, you, use, <laughs> like, use Google Cardboard or some shit. That works with Steam VR, right? <laughs> yeah, spend like a thousand dollars to be a creep in in a Falcon game for two minutes. Be a re- I I I still I still kind of hate that the whole reason I even played uh, Reverie is I made like a a throwaway like tweet saying, "Hey." I have a PSVR. If someone like lets me borrow their copy of Reverie, I will play it and then stream the VR stuff. I am not releasing that VOD. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I've I've seen that footage of uh, what that what it has like man. That's uh, I guess that's one way. Let, 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 <laughs> let me just say this. Let me just say this. The way you interact during the beach section is that there's like specific spots where if you look at for a period of time, it'll just automatically. Uh, automatically uh like respond of course one of them is the character's breasts wow condo really knows his audience uh, i mean i mean that's 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 beach scenes for you it comes paying with paying for fan service that's what you're yeah, signed up for uh, Kondo was just inspired by the very one of the very first PSVR games, Summer Girlfriend or Summer Whatever. And he was I like, remember that. Oh. I remember that. That rings a bell. Or, or he just saw like Kenshiro Takaki when when he was experimenting with VR, and he just strapped a like pair of like silicon like breasts on the <laughs> end of the uh, VR headset. And then Kondo was like, "This is cinema." <laughs> but yeah, Definitely that comes out. 
Yeah, so Reverie's out in July, and it's uh, I'm excited for it. I'm just more excited for Kuro. But like, I'm excited for Reverie to kind of serve as that bridging title. And I've been, I guess I'll say that just people who have played the game have done more to sell me on it more than NIS America has. But I think it's kind of comes with the territory. For Reverie, still- Reverie is good. Well, there's definitely aspects of Reverie that are painful. Uh, ironically enough, I'd say that the one route in Reverie that most people I know of dislike is probably the Lloyd route. The other two routes are like both good. Like I will say, I would say, I would say, Reverie's me- fantastic. Reverie's a mechanically fun game when you do end game stuff in it. Oh yeah, like the they've polished the like uh, Cold Steel three four combat system like perfectly. Like I feel like with the additions to Reverie, with uh, what what have they uh, what have they? I know they changed the name of like Valiant Rage to something else. Uh, what was it? What what's the localization for I it? I got already too. <laughs> I still know it's yeah. Valiant Rage. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, like I I remember seeing it. And I was like, yeah, that does make sense, and it probably. Uh... Oh, United Front. There you go. Okay, United Front. Yeah. So you know, it's like I, a... I, I can't. I don't know. I I am completely dreadful of playing this game. I have no motivation to play because I feel like. It's like, am I playing Cold Steel three and four again? It looks the same. No, it, it, it's it's, same it's, 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 be, it's better. It's better than it's better it's than better paced. It's better paced. It's better yeah. paced. And it's like I again, I'd say that there's aspects of the plot that, and I know, like, I can only say this because pretty much everyone on this podcast is on the same page when it comes to Cold Steel four. Uh, there's aspects of uh, Hajimari, or I keep saying Hajimari Reverie where um, there's definitely some of that like headassery that really kind of gr- like grinded my gears about like Cold Steel 4's plot. But but the majority of Reverie's plot is uh, like unironically good. There's way more good than bad in Reverie. And I do think that if you go into it with an open mind, you will have a good time. You it's know, a I'm, good game. I am dropping guide writing to enjoy this game. Because when I was playing Azure... <laughs> I realized that I am not even reading any of the plot. I am fast forwarding through this entire game to get Branton. the guide done as possible. I love that. I'm dropping guide writing to enjoy the game. Granted, granted, granted. So, how many times have you played Azure? Uh, at least three times. But okay, but surely. So, so yeah, you were skipping because you've already played the game. <laughs> but surely, I can't. I can't have the same experience. Instead of dreading playing one scene, hours and hours. Over my enjoyment, so dropping for this, I can finally. But if you if you if you want to drop something to enjoy something more, always always go go for the route to enjoy something more. Yeah, it's like, I, it's like I need to get my passion back for the Trail series after Cold Steel Four killed it. So it's like I think this is this is it. I know Kuro already like reunited, but I don't want to touch Kuro without fully beat. Yeah. You Reverie. you do you need to play Reverie before you play Kuro. Like if you if you're already invested with Trails, it is a requirement that you play through Reverie because Kuro one in particular is basically a direct follow up to what happens in at the end of Reverie. Like unironically, like there's like these uh, prologue VN segments that you unlock after you finish the post game that directly ties into Kuro's plot. And uh, they're even called back to in aspects of uh, Kuro itself. So if you're a Trails fan and you want to play Kuro, you need to play Reverie. I'm sorry. Trails yeah. into Reverie. Homework for, for Onokoseki. 
Kondal just can't leave any baggage up, can he? But, but that's kind of baggage that, that, this I mean, time. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of like the series. Like they, that's how the series has operated. Like there's never really been a place where you can truly skip something, except I suppose I've... Crossbell and Cold Steel One and Two. You can play in any order. I I, 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 I tell people play whatever game looks good to them. I tell I don't tell them like you know play start with this or play this. Like if you think a game looks cool. Just start with that one. Who fucking oh, cares? Yeah. Oh yeah. To be clear, when I'm when I'm giving this like uh, this uh, homework, Chow, it's because I understand that he's played every ever yeah. game in the series. Yeah. You can start with Kuro and have a great time. I'm just saying, if you're already invested, you're going to you're going to regret not having played Reverie heading into Kuro. That's but I'm, I'm more on a realm. I'm like, you want to start with uh, Chosen Sky the Third? Go for it. You know what? It's, <laughs> it's your life. Yeah. Hey, look, my first. Okay, it, I, it's the same boat with Gundam too. No one's gonna tell you watch all the original movies, watch Zeta Gundam, watch all this before you can watch Unicorn. You know, right? You can't tell people that. It's like, but you know what? My first Gundam series is Gundam F91. That's the first song I started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you, you, you I, look. Uh, there, there's rarely ever like uh, I tell people you fucked up when it comes to when it comes to like starting with like any Gundam show. But if you like started with like Stardust Memory or like F91, uh, I'm I don't want to say you fucked up. I won't say you fucked up, but. All but right. You know how it is. You won't say it, but you'll think it. I'm free to think whatever I want to. You know? <laughs> Anyways, uh, I, I still find it funny that technically we already have Kuro's localization announced by uh, NIS America. Well, no, not by NIS America. We have but it by Falco. The, there, there's we, a, by Fal- probably later. <laughs> yeah, so it's like we know that NIS America is localizing Kuro. We know that they are publishing it on PC at the end of this year. And we know that a localization is coming later. It's funny that we all, that's all official information. It's just out there now. And yet it's, it's just, just weird. Like the situation we find ourselves in with the, with the series. If you're into the fan patch, the fan patch has now fully translated everything. All the NPCs are completely translated. If people want to deal with that sort of means. At this point, I just wait. If you haven't played it already, I just wait for Durante's port because one, you're officially supporting the the English localizations in a roundabout way, and two, that port's going to be way better than the uh, Cloud and Leopard one. Yeah. So it's like just just wait. If if you don't like, just just wait. The last handful of headlines on this podcast are mostly just release dates, and then one uh, one last thing at the end. Uh, also coming out in this next week was something that I had remembered, but had or I had forgotten about. But I remember it as soon as I read the headline, and that is Horizon Forbidden West is getting a DLC. I'm like, oh yeah, this was announced. Uh, Burning Shores is launching on April nineteenth, so that's within the next week at the time of recording. Uh, I think Adam is the only one that's finished Forbidden West here, so I don't know if you've got time squared away to do Burning Shores, or if you'll get to it eventually, or if you have any interest at all in this. Uh, the launch trailer for Burning Shores, it's pretty fun. It's got really good music and it reminds me how gorgeous this game is, you know, to its credit. I'm excited to play this once it releases on PC, I suppose, is where I'm Same. sitting at. <laughs> Same. I, I like, it's been so long since uh, Forbidden West came out and it's like they said, oh, yeah, about every two years it'll come like they'll come out on PC. And I'm thinking, look, I know The Last of Us Part 1's PC version is a garbage fire, but but. Decima Engine has like has a 
good track record on PC. I will just wait for the PC version of Forbidden West. I'll just yeah, wait. I just, I'm like, I guess it depends who's doing the porting job because you, you say like it's uh, if it's, it's uneven. It, yeah. Usually, usually PlayStation uh, game ports are good, like Spider Man and Returnal. Is it, so, is it because because it's like I I even kind of talked about it on Twitter the other day where it's like yeah like there's a lot of good PlayStation PC ports, but I if you actually look at the proper track record of the state of those games at launch. More of them had issues or not. Even Returnal, if you wanted to use the fancy ray tracing features, no matter what, you had terrible frame pacing. You had okay. I, I, okay, I, I'll put it like this: they seemed way more playable than Last of Us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think the most wild thing about the Last of Us port is that, like, ba- like based off of what people have seen from the way that that game handles like VRAM and system RAM, it seems like the way they ported it was they just duplicate whatever's in the system RAM and the VRAM so that they're both on the same page and a way to kind of try and emulate what the PS5 memory setup is like. That sounds like, like garbage. Yeah. <laughs> With my limited uh, knowledge of how th- those things work, that sounds like garbage. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when Forbidden West came out, we... We only had a few people that looked at it, and it was kind of something that didn't get a lot of look in in the end of the year stuff. But this trailer, I don't know, it's got it's really got stellar visuals, great music. It's got a fun ending shot that's pretty, you know, pretty climactic. So I think basically by the time this does hit PC, regardless of the issues that were plaguing the original Horizon launch on PC, like I think at that point I'll be in the mood for, you know, yeah, I'm in the mood for Horizon Forbidden West at that point if it comes out, let's oh. say next next summer or something like that. I feel I, mean, uh, I feel bad for Gorilla here because it's like it's yet another like Horizon release. It's going to be overshadowed by something because it's like this comes out like a week before Star Wars. I, I was thinking I was, I was about to say I was like at least they're not like by like a big like launch of like a game and like because I'm thinking of Zelda. But then you say you mentioned Star Wars. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, th- th- this one's a doubly weird because this expansion is only for PS5, uh, the PS5 yeah. version. Um, so if you got, if you got uh, Forbidden West on PS4, tough, tough shit, I guess. On the plus side, I ho- hope like you know, I'm really interested to see like if th- if this expansion, like how this expansion will really. Hopefully, it it makes it very clear like why this was PS5 only. They said a lot of things about how they. They have special PS5 cloud tech, which this this expansion is going to be making use of, whatever that means. Power of the cloud. That's a blast from <laughs> the like past. Hey, fuck you, Chow. That was good. All right, a few more uh, a few more release dates uh, for the next couple months. We have a release date for the Western localized version of Dungeon Crawler: Labyrinth of Zengetsu. It will be coming out on April nineteenth. Oh, sorry, April twentieth. I was just going to say really quick, I find it very interesting that uh, P-Cube is calling this a dungeon crawler RPG, where very specifically they did not actually call it an RPG if it's Western release. And I remembered seeing like impressions of it back then where people were like, yeah, this does not feel like it has enough depth to it. So I don't know. I'm interested to see what the reception is for this when it uh, comes out later well, at, 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 at first, like at first glance, I, I thought I was like, "Is this another experience RPG?" Like, I was like, "Just like at, at 
I was like, oh no, it's not this something totally different, but it's kind of no, no, no. Like ex- experience after, like especially after Undernauts, I feel like they're on another level. They they have a certain pedigree to them when it comes to dungeon crawlers. I feel so like I, I'm talking I, out of my ass here. So I, I, so I accidentally misspoke. Labyrinth of Genzatsu is April 20th. Burning Shores is April 19th. So both in the next week. Obviously, uh, Labyrinth of Genzatsu, Zangetsu released last year in Japan uh, in September. So it'll be next week for us in the West. You know what's also on April 20th? What's that? Street Fighter Six Showcase. Let's fucking go, chow! What if they delayed Horizon's uh, DLC by a day and called it Blazing Shores instead? Mm. <laughs> we got a release date for uh fairy tale rpg ravenlock it'll be coming out in may on may 4th for xbox and pc this is going to be one that'll be uh i guess it's on only on epic game store or is it also on steam i think it's only think on it's epic game epic store only, yeah Mm-hmm. It does look I remembered seeing this trailer and it's like I completely forgot about this game. But now like looking at like uh, the screenshots again, it's like, oh, yeah, this does look interesting. Uh, too bad is coming out in the mid like at the beginning of May. I will not have time for it at launch. Yeah, so yeah sorry. It, it's kind of got like that Alice in Wonderland sort of fantastical vibe to it. Uh, and then we also learned that this fall. Monochrome Mobius Rights and Wrongs Forgotten will finally release for console. It will release for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. Uh, this originally released last year, PC only in November. And I remember back when it released and James covered it, we kind of talked a little bit about why that was, why it was disappointing for fans in the series. So it is good will, news to see that it will finally come to PlayStation uh, this fall. Yeah, I will eat crow. I like genuinely did not think that NIS America would bother with it if it wasn't going to be a day and date release with the PC version. So yeah, the fact that they're a doing weird it all, one, Yeah, that they flipped this around, not like you just I, the PC version before the PlayStation. Now it's like the other way around. I wonder if this means because I remember back in back uh, when they localized Prelude to the Fallen, the whole reason they did Xan was because by their like Nisa PR's own admission, it was basically like, hey, we'll throw throw in this for free if you want to like do this as well. And that one's localization was handled by the developers themselves using like mask of deception like localization files. So it's like interesting. I wonder if this means we might actually get a late localization of Xan too, if it's a similar situation. I don't Xan's know. also only on PC? No, Xan isn't on PC. It's uh it's uh, Japan only. It came out in 2021. It was uh an adaptation of Mask of Truth, but as a kind of like Muso style thing. I never wrote about I never wrote about it, but I did import and play it. And I think it's a lot better than Xan one. So it would be a shame if we just never got it over here in the West. So I forgot. Do they they share uh, basically the same script between the PC and English versions or are they different? Uh, so the way it works for the PC versions of the trilogy, which to be fair, even though like, uh, NIS America is releasing uh, Monochrome Mobius. I would recommend anyone that is getting into the franchise to just get into it on PC. All of them are Steam Deck verified. All of them run perfectly fine on Steam Deck. And I believe Mask of Deception and Mask of Truth are only available on PC at the moment because like Atlas had the like the rights for it and then they let them expire for PS4 and Vita. Um the scripts are mostly the same for Mask of Deception, Mask of Truth. There's some slight 
like uh, gr- grammatical changes that uh, Shiravun made. Like they did an extra editing pass, but by their own admission, the scripts were already good enough as it was that they didn't make many changes. Uh, Prelude to the Fallen's PC version is the way to go because there's some weird localization quirks and some stiff writing and prelude on PS4 and Vita that it's still an all right localization. It's not bad. It's just there's definitely moments where it's like things like stick out. And uh, I do know Shiravun did a much uh, more uh, lengthy uh, editing period for uh, their PC release of uh, Prelude. So, so, the, the, so the, but the downside of this release, because of the, because on PlayStation, like it'd still be running at 30 FPS. I don't think that like the console version of Monochrome Mobius ever got to 60 yeah, FPS. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, right. Yeah, it's like again, like there have been a lot of, and I do, and I do want to revisit Monochrome Mobius and maybe write about it because, like, I remember shortly after I put my review out, they released a patch that fixed up like some quality of life features. Added they ever give the NPC models like real models? Uh, they gave them faces. Oh, right. That's oh. the whole thing. <laughs> I remember that scared the crap out of you when you showed a picture of it. It's like, oh, man. Yeah. Faceless NPCs all around town. Yeah, yeah. I, it's My main issues with Monochrome Mobius weren't... It, it's not that it's a bad game. It's just that it the pacing isn't great. And specifically, the menuing for, like, battles is a nightmare. Because by the end of the game, you'll have, like, uh, t- like 30-something, like... Uh, skills per character and it's like it's just a list it's like a list that you have to scroll through and it's like most of the time you're just going to be wanting to use the strongest ability because that's the newest one and like the scaling for like mp it's like it just makes sense but that's at the end of the list so you're basically like tapping like the d-pad like seven or eight times to get to it even though it's like rows of three and it was just like that's the thing that got me never mind action rpgs are the future they were right fuck turn-based yeah. I don't know. I, I like. Let's see. My friends complain about this game too. They, but they weren't complaining about that. They just complain like there's all this exciting thing that happens in the prologue, and then it's nothing but yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. Side quest. Yeah, it's like the first six or seven. Well, I guess the first ten hours of uh, Monochrome Mobius's story is really good. The pacing's great. It has this really fresh and exciting new areas that you just don't see in the rest of the series, and then you never return to that area. You're gone. It's just, uh, it, it, it feels very much like, what's the best way of putting it? It feels like it's a different game entirely. And there's aspects of it in the, like, the middle section of the game that are fine. And are, like, the side quests are all right. The uh, explorable world is pretty interesting. But the pacing's just bad and nothing happens until the very end. And then it ends on a cliffhanger and it's like, okay, this game bombed. Are we going to get a follow up? Is the sequel going to be improved? I don't know. Nobody knows. So uh, I hope the fact that the console version is being localized means that they do want to uh, do a follow up. And I think a follow up will be much improved. But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see. And then the final note, very similar to last week's final note here, is the end of a global version of a free-to-play RPG. The Sky RPG, its global service will end on May 12th. Bolt Red Games Bros, it's over. It's so fucking over. The Sky RPG was the mobile game um, that was uh, ter- that was like a turn-based RPG. 
It wasn't like a strategy RPG like other Disgaea games. It was like a standard turn-based. You know, a shitload of gotcha, obviously. A shitload of, like, absurd stats like Disgaea. And a lot of, like, uh, collaborations with, like, other Nice, uh, you know, IPs. Um, it's just, like, I never really got into it. It was, like, kind of, like, whatever. And that, it does never really looked that interesting to me. Um, the only thing that, like, was... Um, no, the, the thing that made, makes it no, worthy of note was... One, it actually got an official release on Steam as well. Like, there was a PC version of this game. So, it, like, the, 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 there's occasionally, like, some mobile games that get released on Steam um, here and there. The, like, the uh, like one of the more interesting uh, ones was, like, Heaven Burns Red, which is, like, a Japanese-only mobile game. Um, but it, 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 it is, you know, available on Steam uh, to download. Um, but uh, th- this one was, like, uh, funny because it's, like, one of the last... Um, projects that was by bolt run games i don't know what else bolt run games has besides this at this point because if this goes down i assume that whole company is like on the brink of shutting down if not shutting down because they were like the ones who also brought over arc the lad r which is a mobile game that was like it got announced for end of service in japan before like coming out like in 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 the west or like in the middle of it It was like really a really funny situation i remember i was like that's kind of fucking awkward they were uh, responsible also for bringing over that Fantasy Star um, Idola Saga or whatever um, mobile game that they also shut down. Um, there's also like a few others that escaped my mind. Um, so, but they were they were they were very they're pretty much infamous now for just like that for like having a string of games bringing over and then just, like shortly end of service right after you know. They just like like the the management of like their projects seems to be a mess. Um, it, it just seems like not a great uh, situation all around for them. Over at that side, hopefully you know the, the the nice people that you know that work there like you know find somewhere better to to, to land their their feet on. I guess. Um, yeah. What what else? To, what else can I say? Just this whole bolt red initiative just seems to have like fucking just sunk <laughs> um there's a question for you josh did okay. any of these games have a persona 5 collab uh because there's a persona so. 5 collab you know your your game usually i mean the, the grand blue fantasy should be should be out of service then right well that's why uh, we hoped but <laughs> yeah, i was hoping it's like fucking crossing figures right like fucking get end of service or grand blue already so I mean, you know, the 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 persona thing is stupid, all, like you know, all around. It's, it's really like, bad timing. It's like every time they like introduce it, then yeah. the next year the gotcha game's dead. So that's yeah, why I asked. Yeah. It... Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, like another Eden has like permanent fucking collabs. So they have like they had two Persona Five collabs, and they're still going strong with their sixth anniversary, um, in, in Japan. And you know, um, and so if if the if the trend is supposed to hold true, then yeah, Ram Blue should announce end of service hopefully soon right and then you'll be a happier person you'll become a much better person you'll have way more free time to do that reverie guide that grand blue has been taken up you know so uh, i'd rather play grand blue than do the reverie guide <laughs> well you you won't have any choice if they announce end of service you know that 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 should be the death pack you make to yourself it's like if grand blue goes out of service i have to do that reverie guide. Mm-hmm. no <laughs> no I told him it it takes me this long to do an Azure rewrite, hint rewrite, 
It's like, there's no way I could get a reverie gun done in time when everyone wants a guy day one these days. It's just impossible to keep up that pace. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, these days when I write guides, I want, like, every damn detail in it. I want this mm-hmm. guide to be the only source of information. You hold mm-hmm. yourself to a high standard. I know, I respect that, Chow. I, you're, you're not out there for trying to fucking do the stupid SEO BS of, like, 300 words before you get to the answer you want. You want a fucking, like, you want, like, the pretty, like, like the, the, you want the guys that they used to fucking sell on bookshelves. Uh, I- it's so hilarious. People they, even plagiarize my. I was gonna say they on... still sell them on bookshelves. <laughs> they just steal like actual guides and then yeah, they still actual yeah, yeah they put it on bookshelves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I also find it like funny, hilarious enough. Even in like the Steam forms, people plagiarize my own strategy on how to kill last boss in Azure. That's awesome. And, it's like oh, it's awful, like, but also they, awesome. I guess it's like they even like it's like oh here's my tips. I'll go hey this is the exact statue I wrote and even had the bug that I listed from the beta version. <laughs> it's like That's... it's like you know this this doesn't. It's like why do you mention about that? It's like that by mentioning that the the bug about the beta version, then I already know that's my guide. That's <laughs> my guide. You know, it's like it's like man, some people. They gotta get their steam kudos, you know. If they don't get the recognition there, then we're we're also gonna get it. Well, you could sell ebooks. I mean, that's what people are doing: stealing our guides and selling ebooks on Amazon and and was that Barnes and books? Barnes and okay, Noble. Okay, okay, okay. Well, you will you let will you let me do, uh, resell your guides since I, I have a friend. Do I get the discount? I was like, you know, it's, it's like okay. only if you rewrite it. <laughs> all right well that's it that's it you know that's all about that that's kind of news there's nothing else to really say about it yeah couldn't uh, couldn't have been tidy and just looped into everything else that ended last week but uh seems to be the theme of the of the season at least a funeral yeah. for gotcha games the funerals for e3 and gotcha games but yeah that uh that covers a very light news slate for this week so again just more footage and discussion on the bigger releases of the month as well as some smaller releases coming out later in April and into May and June and July. So next week, it gets a little bit more interesting. We've got some Final Fantasy Pixel remasters finally arriving on consoles. Uh, We've got, maybe we'll have some more time to take a look at War Tales or Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection. We, of course, got Labyrinth of Zangetsu. Uh, We've got Trinity Trigger and Honkai Star Rail the week after that, later in April. So it starts to pick up again from here, as well as, of course, all of us finishing our various backlog efforts um, if you've listened to this podcast to the to its conclusion, thank you so much for listening. If you've got any feedback for us, you can go ahead and leave us a comment at the bottom of the site post, on our YouTube post, or on the podcast service of your choice. You can find RPG site on all the social media platforms. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the Tetracast either on our site, on YouTube, or on any of the podcast services, Spotify, iTunes, or Google Podcasts. Uh, And we will be back next week with another episode of the Tetracast. So thank you all so much for listening. Stay safe and take care. We will talk to you all next time.